You are listening to Viva and Barnes Law for the People, an American and Canadian lawyer breaking down the latest in the legal world in terms everyone can understand. Enjoy the podcast. See, this guy keeps on trying to bump me every time I walk by. Dude, I'm walking down the street. I'm standing here. I'm allowed to Let him go sideways. All right, Alex, you need to leave. I'm not leaving, guys. You guys, you're trying to get in my way. I'm here on a public street. Get out of my way. Oh, my God, guys. I'm so scared. The Antifa, they brought their play guns, their squirt guns. Oh, my God. Your Those aren't play guns. Time. Did, this, is, did this mess up your Arch and Crash time? You guys going to be able to go home and play with us? Why, why is it so tiny? Look how scary they are. Oh, my God. This guy's so scared. I'm so scared. He's got his gun. His big gun. He's a big, bad guy. So happy you're protecting these children so they can go get indoctrinated and go in there for transgender story time. You're such a good American. God bless this guy. Look at him. I'm scared. Dare you. I mean, these people, these are the real cowards. They're hiding behind their masks. They got their little guns. They think they're so tough. We're at a bookstore here in Denton, Texas, where they're trying to do drag queen story hour. And of course, the typical people here with their masks on not able to actually stand up for what they believe in because they're all cowards. Officer, you think it's unusual they have their, their assault weapons like that out here in front of a place like this? Is that normal? No comment. <laughs> she is not. I'm amazing. walking down the street. I'm standing here. I'm allowed. Let him go sideways. Get out of my... All right, Alex, you need to leave. Who said, who said Alex? Older? But see, that's how... That's, these are the real scaredy cats. They got to walk around with a gun. They can't handle themselves like a real man. All right, guys. I just want to announce I'm Primetime 99 Alex Stein, and I love y'all, even though you guys don't love me, and I know you guys probably love children a little too much, but I'm very empathetic to you guys. I love you guys. Even these guys with the guns, I feel sorry that you guys were probably abused as children, and I really hope you guys get the mental health care that you guys deserve. I love you guys. God bless you all. I love you guys. I love your rights. I think you guys are great. We need to actually transition more children. We need more drag queen story time for elementary school kids. Okay. Um, whatever you think about Alex Stein, let me just get centered here. Whatever you think about Alex Stein, primetime 99. Holy crab apples. I mean, that, that, there's, there's uh, gag humor. There's courage. And then some might say it takes a little bit of a dab in its toe of the waters of insanity. Uh, yeah, great start, Viva. Um, I was watching that yesterday at the um, West Palm Beach Gem, Mineral, and Fossil Show. And I'm like, this guy's, this guy's crazy. He's certifiably crazy. The first thing I thought, by the way, is that if there were no camera there, that guy who fell to the ground would have pressed charges for assault no question. And he's sitting there getting up in his grill and saying, I'm standing here as I'm walking with you in your face. I have not seen the entire full-length thing, but everybody should go uh, support Alex Stein or don't support him. You can go watch his stuff and, and hate it. I think anybody who watches that and hates it or finds it offensive, shocking, controversial, um, probably has other, uh, other issues. But my, my goodness, um, I, 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 when I interviewed Alex Stein and he, he mentioned the story, didn't get into much detail. Um, 
And then I understood what the motivating driving factor for Alex Stein. For anybody wondering what he means, they murdered his mother. Apparently his mom was in the hospital and they put her on a ventilator knowing certain things and he begged them to take her off the ventilator and she subsequently passed. And, I, and it, it wasn't a confession through projection. It was an astute observation that there seems to be some pain and anger in his eyes, but he is most certainly, most certainly on a mission. Okay. Standard disclaimers, by the way. I, I was talking with my dad before we went live. And he said, when are you going to go live without any problems? Your mic doesn't work. Some, oh, oh, did anyone notice it? You know, the only thing that's not working tonight, my hair. I took a shower before and brushed my hair and put argon oil in it. And so it's not yet in the full Viva Fro. But other than being late, because I was sitting here singing a song to myself without realizing that we were five seconds late, things are working. Video, audio, and we won't have any internet problems tonight. It's glorious. Let's read this. Vivi, you got to watch The Exigency on YouTube. It's a 3D animated action and adventure movie, which I think you'll appreciate. Good. Because if I hear Kiki Waka, Kiki Waka one more time coming from Bunked, is it for kids? Uh, I, I will watch it. Standard disclaimers, everybody. Rumble Rants, Super Chats. Uh, that was a super chat. People are free to give them if they so choose to support me and the channel. YouTube takes 30% of every dollar generated through super chats. If you want to support the channel but don't like that, we are simultaneously streaming on the Rumbles. Rumble has the equivalent of super chats called Rumble Rants. They take 20%. You can feel better. More goes to the creator. Uh, you're supporting a platform that supports freedom of speech. I'll say it even more so than Elon Musk. So you can feel better doing that if you want to so do that. Um, best way to support, like, share, subscribe, hit the notification bell, and spread the word. Uh, what else was I just about to say? No medical advice, no legal advice, no election fornification advice. Um, okay, did you see the new CPSO recommendations for docs? Chet Chisholm. I did see that. I wasn't going to talk about it tonight because it requires a bit of elaboration and I don't want to get too far into it. Th that is not as clear as the tweets are making it out to be. And there is not nuance, interpretation going into that. For anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about, tune in tomorrow. We'll talk about it. But there was um, CPSO. What does that stand for? Basically, like Ontario doctors were suggesting medicating people who were uh, reluctant to get vaccinated or who had vaccination anxiety, that memo, that internal you know, document that was circulating has been redrafted, but it's not as cut and dry as it sounds. Uh, and we'll talk about it tomorrow because it, it, it might take a little too much time. Nice to see Viva get a shout out from Mark Dice. That's, a, I had, that's, that's fantastic also. What, what happened? I, so Scott Adams and Mark Dice. The, 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 the most funniest thing of the entire weekend is Elon Musk replied to my tweet about um, Alex Jones. It was a thoughtful, thorough, insightful response to my tweet in which I said, we're going to talk about this tonight when Barnes gets here, but we're going to talk about something beforehand. But I said, look, the litmus test is Alex Jones, not because he's radical, whatever. The litmus test is Alex Jones on Twitter to determine whether or not one truly is promoting freedom of speech, but not just from the freedom of speech uh, perspective, from the standing up or not bending the knee to government pressure and the threat of litigation pressure. To which Elon Musk replied, too bad. 
<laughs> to my tweet. Anyhow, I, I appreciate his dry humor and I didn't take it personally whatsoever. It's, it's, it, Twitter has become very interactive and it's become very fun. A lot more fun than it ever was. Rittenhouse did not mark his territory himself. God, I'm going to get in trouble here. Okay, let's do a few more Super Chats before I get it. I haven't done the intro rant yet. It's beautiful. I agree with Alex, but man, I wouldn't be caught dead doing the things he does. That's a quick way of getting sucker punched. Yep. The uh, Billboard Chris, if, if I'm not mistaken, got sucker punched not badly over the weekend, but I think it was over the weekend. I don't think it was an old video. How pitiful and disrespectful of that eulogy daughter that daughter gave at her father's funeral. JRC1, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I'm, I wasn't going to talk about it because I don't feel like giving that girl any more attention than she wants. It's that video of this girl eulogizing her father. She's uh, part black, part white, from what I can tell, because her father seems to be white and she seems to be uh, part white, part black. I don't, know, I don't know what the politically correct word is to say it. Eulogizing her father by calling him a white supremacist, Trump-supporting, cisgender, whatever. I mean, it's like just check off whatever the 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 the, the words of the day are at, at what appeared to be his funeral or some commemoration of her father. And you could hear some gasps in the audience. I couldn't believe it was real. I thought it had to be like a play, a monologue, a performance, which it which it was to some extent. It seems to be legit. I went through her TikTok feed and I felt deep, deep uh, disgust, anger, and sadness because TikTok is a breeding ground. I'll say of mental illness on the one hand, and I'm not using that word lightly, um, and development of narcissistic personality traits. You went through this girl's uh, Twitter feed. It was clear all she wanted was, was clout, popularity, fame, infamy on, on, on TikTok. There was a video when she's crying over having gotten to 20,000, whatever they call them, TikTok subs and a million views. It's clear... In my view, if TikTok or social media were not around and she did not think she would get celebrity status on social media, she would never have done that. She will live, God willing, long enough to understand how shameful what she did was. And she'll live long enough to be mortified and humiliated by it. I think so. I always think about that Amy Winehouse documentary, Life Can Teach You a Lot of Things If You Live Long Enough. Uh, she eulogized her father by condemning. I don't know. Maybe there's a horrible history there but of, of, of abuse from her father to her. I don't know. Um, even if there were, you know, probably not the way to do it. Uh, it's like that movie, the, the Celebration of the Party, that Dutch movie we talked about it a while ago. But what's clear, she was performing. She wanted the social media points for that she pinned that that her most popular tiktok video to her profile on tiktok she got the adulation she was after on social media there was a video of her crying and sobbing about the loss of her father but it's tiktok is a cancer unleashed by china i, I tiktok is is awful I, I genuinely believe it so i was not, i didn't want to talk about it because i don't think she, she may she live long enough to to feel the shame and sorrow of what she's done and may she repent and may she learn. I'm sure in the moment she thought that the, the point she was making is worth it to, to berate her deceased father, who by the looks of it was at the very least her father, left her money, apparently money that she's going to take and, um, and um, had, a, had a, some childhood pictures of her when she was a baby in her father's arms. 
sad. Now, but that's not what I wanted to start with. I wanted to start with this before Barnes gets here and so we can work into it. Things are going wild on, t- on, on Twitter. Holy crab apples. Trump is back after a poll, which I jokingly said uh, conducted itself much like the elections. The longer it went, the better it got for the Democrats, Democrats or the people who opposed Trump's reinstatement on Twitter. It started off at like 60-40. Then I saw it at 58 what the heck is that? 58-42. Then it went down to 56-44. It ended up at 52-48. The longer that, that, the longer that poll went on, the more bot accounts were created that voted on it, the more uh, Dem politicians could mobilize their legion of Twitter warriors to go vote on that. It was, it was, it was funny. But Trump is back. And um, I think most people actually don't appreciate the rationale, the justification for which Trump was banned in the first place. We all knew it was violent tweets, tweets promoting violence. I don't think I saw Twitter's justification at the time because if I had seen Twitter's justification at the time, I might not have remembered it, but I would remember how I would have reacted because I would have freaked out had I seen it at the time. And when I saw what was Twitter's justification yesterday, I'm like, I don't think I saw this because if I had seen this at the time, I know that this is how I would have reacted. Um, Twitter's Twitter's justification for booting Trump is not a just, it reads like motivated reasoning would be doing it too much justice because it would be calling it reasoning in the first place. It was a pathologically unhinged, deranged, ex post facto interpretive dance uh, as to how we can get to Donald Trump being um, such a risk that we have to boot him from social media. I don't want to bring up my tweet. I want to bring up the actual post from the blog. Here it is. Permanent suspension. Put it this way. It was so unhinged, and I was so flabbergasted when I saw it, that I was convinced it was fake. I had to go to, can we see the address? Can we see the address bar and what we're looking at? We can't. The address bar is blog.twitter.com forward slash en underscore us slash topics slash company slash 2020 slash suspension. It's the real blog. And we're going to read through this because if I had read through this at the time, I know I would have done the same thing, which leads me to believe I didn't see it at the time. Permanent suspension of at real Donald Trump by Twitter, January 8, 2021 while he is still president of the United States of America. After close review of recent tweets from the at real Donald Trump account and the context around them, and wait for this, specifically how they are being received and interpreted on and off Twitter. They deter, by the way, they're not just, they don't just hear dog whistles. They hear how things are being received and interpreted by third parties, both on Twitter and off Twitter. They, they got their, like, their, their divining rods, their Ouija board. We have permanently suspended the account due to the risk of further incitement of violence. Further incitement of violence, by the way, suggests or implies that there was previous incitement of violence. Let me just make sure that we, we are seeing the same thing. Okay. In the context 
of the horrific events of this week. They're talking about uh, January 6th. The modern day, the, the modern day 9-11, according to some people. The modern day Pearl Harbor. The darkest day in American history. Uh, uh, a protest that got violence, that, that got violence in certain pockets. People, people were killed that day to suggest as though it was rioters. The people that were killed that day, Ashley Babbitt by that Capitol Police officer shot point blank in the neck as she went through a broken glass window. Arguably Roseanne Boyland, who there's some controversy around her death. Uh, And then the one person who they suggested, the one officer who they suggested was beaten to death by a group of pro-Trump, a mob of pro-Trump supporters, Brian Sicknick, coroner, unrelated, natural causes, stroke. Horrific, horrific events this week. We made it clear on Wednesday that additional violations of the Twitter rules would potentially result in this very course of action. Our public interest framework exists to enable the public to hear from elected officials and world leaders directly. It is built on a principle that the people have a right to hold power. That the people have a right to hold power to account in the open. However, we made it clear, I gotta go fast. We made it clear going back years that these accounts are not above the the rules entirely and cannot use Twitter to incite violence, among other things. We will continue to be transparent (laughs) around our policies and their enforcement. It's a comprehensive analysis. On January 8th, Trump tweeted the following. The 75 million great American patriots, patriots is going to be an operative word here, who voted for me, America first and make America great again, will have a giant voice long into the future. They will not be disrespected or treated unfairly in any way, shape or form. Shortly thereafter, the president tweeted to all those who have asked, I will not be going to the inauguration on January 20th. Listen to this. Listen to this. Pathological insanity. Due to the ongoing tensions in the United States and an uptick in the global conversation in regards to the people who vi- and an uptick in the global conversation in regards to the people who violently stormed the Capitol on January 6, 2021. Listen to this. These two tweets must be read in the context of broader events in the country and the ways in which the president's statements can be mobilized by different audiences, including to incite violence, as well as in the context of the pattern of behavior from this account in recent weeks. Do you know what this is? This is verbal diarrhea, or I guess it should be literary diarrhea. This is poop on a page. This is learn to code diarrhea. I mean, try to read that five. I mean, should I do it in one voice? Because that's a six sex. I'm not going to do it. After, after assessing the language, the language in these tweets against our glorification of violence policy, we have determined that these tweets are in violation of the glorification of violence policy and the user don't, he should be immediately permanently suspended from the service. It's called a ban, you Orwellian idiots. We assess these two tweets in reference above yada yada, which, okay, looks at this. This determination is based on a number of factors, including President Trump's statement that he will not be attending the inauguration, is being received by a number of his supporters as further confirmation that the election was not legitimate and is seen as him disavowing his previous claim made via two tweets, one and two, that there would be an orderly transition on January 20th. These tweets are being received as confirmation that the election was not legitimate. I mean, this is literally Ouija board level interpretive dance here. The second tweet 
may also serve as encouragement to those potentially considering violent acts and that the inauguration would be a safe target as he will not be attending. Oh, that's that's confession through projection if there's ever been one. Holy crab apples. The use of the words American patriots to describe some of his supporters is also being interpreted as support for those committing violent acts at the U.S. Capitol. To whom? To the Jay Gotti? The, the head of legal? To, to delusional people who think this way in their own delusional minds and then project all of that delusion onto other people? American patriots is being interpreted as support for those committing violent acts. Holy sweet merciful goodness. The mention of his supporters having a, quote, giant voice long into the future and that they will not be disrespected or treated unfairly in any way, shape, or form is being interpreted as further indication that President Trump does not plan to facilitate an or... Oh, is that, did you get from there? Did you get from A to Z and skip the entire alphabet in between? They have a giant voice and will not be disrespected. We have interpreted that as an indication that President Trump does not plan to facilitate an orderly transition. So we're punishing him for not doing something off-platform that he hasn't yet done that we interpret he's going to do based on words that don't mean anything along the lines of what we've interpreted it to mean. And instead, he plans to continue to support, empower, and shield those who believe he won the election. Plans for future armed protests have already begun proliferating on and off Twitter, including a proposed second attack on the U.S. Capitol on January 17. As such, our determination is that these two tweets above are likely to inspire others to replicate the violent acts that took place on January 6, 2021, and that there are multiple indicators that they are being received and understood. Multiple indicators that they're being received and understood as encouragement to do so. Psychotic. Holy crab-appled psychotic. Everyone involved in the decision to have permanently suspended Donald Trump, that's called a ban in ordinary English and not Orwellian newspeak, should be fired, should have been fired. Elon Musk was right to have done it. And my good goshness is that pathological. Okay, Barnes is in the backdrop, people. He's here. What did you, what did, what did you of the Trudeau versus she, or what did I think of Trudeau versus she? The guys at the China show on YouTube said that this was Chinese psyop for the West since it wasn't reported in China. That's interesting. And I heard someone say it was deliberately done so that she could use it for Chinese media to show what a powerful leader he is that he can put Justin Trudeau in his, in his, uh, in his place. Canceled my sub to you here on YouTube. Is there one I can get on Rumble if they take less? Oh, you could, you, could, you could sub on Rumble. Any day of the week, just me, Nicole. And uh, one more. Let's do this here. To the real debate, the, to the real debate was the poll about Trump, but honeypotting pots. Elon was 100% going to bring back Trump. Yeah, it, Trump, uh, Elon did say that he's never seen so many bot accounts created so quickly. Okay, we're on. Barnes is in the backdrop. Tonight, we've got some good stuff. Uh, I'm going to let Barnes break it down. At least subject matter, cigar, um, book, but because it just popped up, it happened to pop up right as I said it. Let's just bring this one up. Kimberly Geiger. Most of the people where I live don't have any idea what you are talking about. Please come to Pennington Gap, Virginia. Oh my goodness. How do they not have any idea? Share, share the link and let them know where they can get the information that CBS does not want you to get. 
All right, Robert, I'm bringing you in. Three, two, one. Booyah, Robert, sir. How goes the battle? Good, good. All right, audio is good. Robert, what do you have behind you? Because that is definitely a new book. Yes, yeah, since it's the World Cup, uh, that's a book about uh, what the world knows as football, what America knows as soccer. Uh, the numbers game, which breaks down uh, a lot of the analytics that a lot of people don't know about the sport. My brother and I did a uh, World Cup preview video that you can find both on Sports Wars on YouTube and Rumble and also at sportspicks.locals.com, a whole breakdown for those that are interested in the World Cup, which started uh, earlier this morning. Uh, so the World Cup, I haven't followed that in 12 years. I you know Canada's I in it, right? Yes, of course I knew that. It would be terribly <laughs> unpatriotic of me to know. I, I did know that because there was um, they were I saw that in the paper. But uh, what's well, I mean, what stage? It's round robin, and then they have the quarter semifinals. Uh, the uh, it goes to the round of sixteen. So you have the a first round uh, with eight groups of four, thirty-two teams. Uh, that's the round robin round. Uh, then you have the top two from each group advance into the round of 16, then the quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals being hosted controversially this year uh, by Qatar. Okay, very good. I, I, I was just wondering, someone said, is it gin? I am, uh, I'm going to go dry for a very long time now to see if I can fix sleep patterns and other, and other patterns. I've been Anthony Huberman's podcast, uh, Andrew Huberman's podcast uh, was, was an eye opener in terms of, sleep habits and other bodily functions. So yeah, I'll be doing carbonated water. Life just got a lot more boring. Uh, Robert, but as boring as, as life can be, holy crab apples, has it been a wild ride on social media, Twitter, and in the lawverse. What do we have on for the evening? And let's get to it. I, yeah, I so could... we'll wait for Rumble to discuss an uh, update on the uh, uh, children's health defense against FDA about the childhood vaccines. Because uh, there was a court hearing on Friday on that case. And for the election legal disputes that are uh, bubbling up from Pennsylvania to Georgia to Arizona, uh, that too uh, will say for the uh, rumble section of the show, given the censorship issues here still on YouTube. But we have yeah all the issues uh, related to uh, Twitter and Trump being reinstated on Twitter, whether there are legal limitations and practical limitations to whether Trump will actually be back on Twitter anytime soon. Theranos Holmes was, uh, you know, the, the uh, Elizabeth Holmes from Theranos was uh, sentenced this week, as well as the Molotov cocktail folks from the BLM riots, the lawyers who went and threw BL uh, Molotov cocktails into cop cars. What kind of sentence did they get? Did they get a January 6th type sentence or something different? We have subpoenas being issued or plan to be issued by the new Republican House. We have uh, Jen Psaki trying to challenge her subpoena about big tech collusion. We have a special counsel being appointed uh, to go after uh, Trump. We have student loan issues go that got in Biden's student loan program further enjoined by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals that now the Biden administration is trying to challenge at the Supreme Court. We have uh, Florida's Anti-Woke Act being struck down as unconstitutional in violation of First Amendment rules. The Trump Organization's tax trial, uh, Biden's uh, spending provisions on COVID uh, partially being struck down, partially being affirmed uh, by a federal court that involved whether states could use taxing, could cut taxes or not and take the money. Uh, lawsuit over abortion pills, Nike sued by an NFL star, Tennessee juvenile life 
uh, imprisonment found unconstitutional, bio labs and war crimes in Ukraine, uh, judges found not necessarily be, to be immune or above the law, trial by jury and forfeiture cases, a class action involving FTX and drones and the Fourth Amendment. I'm not familiar with the drone ones, Robert, but all right, well, let's start with the the massive news. First of all, Trump is back on Twitter. CBS says, it's so funny. The people saying they're going to leave, they can't stand it. I just got bought, blocked by somebody who's involved with lawfare who says, you know, I can't be on a platform with Trump. I'm going to leave, but I'm going to continue doing some stuff here because it's important for reach. Yeah, that's what Twitter is. The people saying they're going to leave because they can't stand Trump, even though we now know what the two tweets that got Trump yeeted from Twitter were and how ludicrous that discussion was or that decision was. He's back on. Two questions, Robert. You think Elon Musk was always going to bring him back for a number of reasons, and this was uh, a marketing uh, ploy? And what of the concept? You floated it on in one of your responses. It's an easy decision to make because probably Trump cannot come back, if not at all, at the very least, not entirely, given contractual obligations with truth. I have no insider knowledge. I don't know if you do, and I don't want you to say anything you're not allowed saying. Is that a very plausible argument that Trump can't come back, period? because he's contractually bound by truth to promote truth and not the competitor. Yeah, there's two different issues there. I mean, it was an easy move for Musk. It was good marketing to do a poll and get people all excited. But all the people that think Trump is rushing back to Twitter are mistaken for two big reasons. One, there's his marketing agreement, exclusive marketing agreement with truth. Uh, now, that allows him after a certain time frame to post on other social media sites. That allows him, and this has all been publicly reported because they're trying to do a like Rumble, their their special purpose vehicle uh, or acquisition committee uh, uh, company that's trying to go public. Uh, but that isn't the primary reason why Trump is not going to rush back to Twitter. There's about a billion reasons for Trump not to get near Twitter. And that is that truth is one of his main monetization uh, uh, means at the moment. And it uh, truth could be worth a billion dollars or more. Uh, to Trump himself in its stock value. Needless to say, uh, so other than using Twitter to promote people to go to truth, it makes zero sense for Trump to lose a billion bucks uh, to just be back on Twitter and help Elon Musk. Uh, and, and by the way, Musk is intimately well aware of this. This is why Musk knew this was a no-brainer. Let's get a lot of marketing, get a lot of excitement. Uh, what I said about buying off that his whole purpose behind Twitter is most likely about buying political immunity. This was in a hush hush at Viva Barnes Law dot locals dot com almost a year ago, back when this first uh, rumor started uh, talk of Musk buying Twitter uh, back in early 2022. I said his goal is that he's already under investigation by the Biden administration. And he's wanting to buy immunity on the right, political cover on the right that he doesn't didn't currently have. He had political cover on some aspects of the left, but clearly not enough because the Biden administration was unhappy with him for some reason. We don't fully know why. Him setting up Starlink in Ukraine didn't buy him enough immunity. He's you know there's a thousand plus lawsuits against Tesla for or, or Musk for a range of reasons out there, and the uh, and at the time he was facing a risky case from the Delaware courts that he ended up dodging the, the the bullet on, but he didn't know that at the time. It made sense for him to buy Twitter and be perceived as a free speech right wing libertarian hero, so he could buy political cover 
uh, Tom Fitton, Judicial Watch, put out that you know Trump that Musk will now be targeted because he reinstated Trump, and Musk responded and said, "Oh yeah, no doubt about it." And so the, uh, in my view, he did this as an anticipatory move. He's already under investigation, is my guess. Um, now he, re- I mean, you can get a sense of how committed he actually is to free speech because he responded to you about him uh, saying uh, no to Alex Jones being reinstated, and he said, you know, too bad. That shows Musk has no deep commitment to free speech of any kind. Uh, That's an illusion that people have. Trump is purely a marketing move. I'm glad because we get to see Trump's old tweets. We get to see that it's contrary to a lot of old messages. He's got a lot of funny tweets. But it's not the idea that Trump is going to demonetize himself and re-monetize Elon Musk. People have their head in the sand. That ain't happening. Uh, Trump, you know, the... Uh, Trump's not giving up a billion bucks, folks. Uh, that that's that's not in the Trump DNA. So he's he's already said that if the SEC in, interferes with his ability to take it public, he'll just take it private. He said that you know several months back. So the uh, the the SEC is trying to interfere with the ability for that SPAC to get off the ground. There'll be a press, I think, a conference this week, actually t- Tuesday, about whether or not they are going to postpone the sale to September of 2023. Uh, because of the issues present. Uh, I mean, it's trading over $20 or so a share. And if people can look up what's publicly reported is, you know, Trump has about half of the shares. Uh, I mean, and you can do the math. The math is over a billion bucks. So that that's why he's not going to do anything that could possibly uh, pr- undermine uh, truth, least of all for Musk, who he's not personally fond of uh, at Twitter. You know, the, so that, you know, he was glad Trump promoted, hey, you know, pro, pro, uh, to his truth audience, promote the poll on Twitter. Happy to do that. But that'll be the scope of it. And people are just in this delusional denial that Trump is rushing back to Twitter and can't wait to get back there. I think that's extraordinarily unlikely. It would bet against it. And, and people are saying, well, Trump is obviously going to go back now that he's running. He wants to maximize his reach. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the obvious retort to that is he's got millions of other people who are going to maximize his reach on Twitter more than he would if he posted directly there in any event. Um, And just to bring up uh, Elon's response, it it was, it didn't seem categorical, but you know, it was, he he initially says too bad. And then he responds again and kind of moderates what he meant. I didn't see him respond again. Alex Jones is a litmus test, not just on the issue of freedom of speech, but on the issue of bending the knee to political and judicial intimidation. If this is a hard no, I'm not being too hard on on, on Elon. uh, This Twitter will be no more trustworthy than Jack or Parag's, to which he said, too bad. Uh, I'm an idiot. I don't know how this works. How do I find out? Anyway, so then I responded. But that's it. It's, uh, you don't, he's he's being dry, humorish, and it's good it's fun. It's it, it's 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 fun that the CEO of, of Twitter is actively interacting with people on oh, Twitter. It, it, it makes it's him definitely an improvement over where Twitter was. I mean that that's you know whatever Musk's motivations are, uh, promoting it to be less censorship oriented uh, is part of those is in his self interest. So Twitter will be better than it was before. No no doubt about that. But it won't be a rumble level opposition to cancel culture. It, you you won't see that. Uh, Alex Jones is a great litmus test for that. Alex, you can find Alex Jones on Rumble. When France threatened Rumble, Rumble said, well, fine, we won't be in France then. Uh, when uh, Senator Rick Scott uh, would be one of the Senate Majority Leader, 
uh, threatened Rumble in Florida for ha- allowing RT to continue to broadcast on Rumble. They said, thanks a lot, Senator, but we're not going to change our budge. Elon Musk would capitulate in a half second. So the uh, he's not of the same commitment. Heart. And he's made that clear in a range of statements. He's he's going to limit the scope of certain speech, you know, speech, uh, et cetera. So the uh, he'll do enough to build his brand that help gives him some libertarian and right wing protection. He'll do enough to build interest in Twitter to help remonetize it. Um, he wants to remake. He wants to make it into China style. We app. So people should look into that and understand some of the limitations of speech that he may be inclined to. But people expecting it to be like robust free speech, unlikely. And anybody thinking Trump's going to gut himself by enriching Musk instead is in denial. The gallant goose and fences. Trump will write the first half of his post on Twitter, then pull a Viva and say, for the rest, go over to Truth Social. Not a bad idea. We'll see. But Robert is, Robert is right. It's not, it's not like he's right. Uh, period. So we'll, we'll see. That, that's why it was probably an easy bet. That being said... Uh, who else did Elon just bring back? Oh, yeah, he brought back Ye, just like that. Yeah, yeah, he brought back Kanye, brought back uh, uh, Andrew Tate, brought back the Babylon Bee, brought back Jordan Peterson, brought back Kathy Griffin. Um, he still hasn't brought back the controversial COVID doctors. That will be uh, a real a real test. The people that were very critical of our uh, questionable COVID policies, Peter McCullough, Robert Malone. Malone. Yep. Let's see those people reinstated. Uh, that that would be a really a real big positive step uh, in that and, in the right direction. Now, I, and I I don't want to like everyone goes to Alex Jones as the the, the, the case in point example, but Erwin Schroer is it Erwin? It's Erwin Schroer as well. Owen Schroer. Oh, Owen Schroer. Sorry, not Erwin. Owen Schroer has also been. Rem- but anyone within the orbit of oh, yeah. Alex Jones I think and Serena Hernandez, well. who we interview, who we yeah. interviewed. Uh, was kicked off Twitter. So we'll see how many, I mean, there clearly were a lot of coup attempts against him this week. There are a bunch of everybody walking off, like half of the employees walking off the job on a day, predictions that Twitter would collapse. None of that has happened. Um, I think that there is a part of him that wants to run the company in a profitable manner. I think he's got multiple objectives, one of which is political cover. So he was always going to bring Trump back. The poll was just a smart marketing technique to get attention to it. Uh, and I think he knew Trump was highly unlikely to you start using it much. So he's not going to rely, be able to rely on Trump being using Twitter to drive traffic. Uh, he needs to continue to find ways to be creative. He's talking about video content, uh, converting Twitter basically into like a podcast hosting forum, a video content hosting forum, thing, uh, being able to monetize it beyond just the blue check mark. So he's got a range of ideas as to how to monetize it in the same way to recover some of the money that he spent to purchase it in the first place. Um, and I think it will continue to be fun and interesting and engaging. It just won't be as free speech or as cancel culture opposed as uh, Rumble is. And in that uh, sense, he kind of lacks cojones. And that's what I said. He lacks cojones. Uh, if he had real guts and he had real courage, Alex Jones would be reinstated tomorrow. But he doesn't. So until then, he's a wuss in my book. We'll see. Maybe it's, you know, maybe he's just playing it slow or maybe he just says, I've got too much to lose. uh, And I don't want to, you know, I I don't want to be sued for $2.5 trillion for hosting. We'll we'll see. But uh, speaking of Rumble, now's probably the good time. Look, uh, we've been here for 40 minutes, people. Let's mosey on over to Rumble. I'm going to get the link 
and share it one more time. And for whatever rumble, for whatever complaints anybody has about UX, UI, whatever we call it, I am in direct contact with Chris often. And everybody knows, oh, who's this? Hold on just one second. Yellow. Yeah, perfect, thanks. Uh, okay, good thing I have my phone on. Um, oh God, I'm stuck. My hair's stuck in there. Oh God. Um, what did I, what, Robert? What was I just saying? We're heading over to Rumble. Oh yeah, we're heading over to Pavlovsky. Oh, it was, no, it's, it's, that's it. Any 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 issues? Any recommendations? Continue to send them our way. I flip them to Chris. They know about them. They're working on it. Growing pains. Good growing pains. But uh, it's where it, it putting your money where your mouth is and living by principles. France wants them to take certain things down. No, thank you. Out of France. Um, for the French who are watching, nous allons télécharger, uh, what is it? On va télécharger, I think is the word. Anyways, we'll upload the, the podcast to locals tomorrow so you can watch it. For those who can't reach it in, in, in France. And I apologize for that, but we're going to do it anyhow. Head on over to Rumble. We'll be there in three seconds. We should see 5,000 more people. Not end broadcast. End broadcast on, on YouTube. Over to Rumble in three, two, one. And let's make sure that we're still good on Rumble. I have all the Rumble rants, by the way, as well. And I'll be doing the same thing. I'll be doing a live locals read of the Rumble rants tomorrow. Robert, I was try I'm trying to find an audio clip of um, uh, Sam Bankman Freed because we're, we're going to go through the the fraudsters of um, the fraudsters of Washington. I mean, how, how do you? There's, a, there's an audio clip of him. I'll find it while we, we discuss this, where he's speaking in a rather uh, disparaging manner. It, it's, it's, it, Ezra Levant tweeted it. It's one of those things that's so shocking. I, I, I'm almost sh shocked that it's real. Listen, listen to this before we get into the first subject of the night. This is Sam Bankman. I just think that people are, are overreacting. And I really hope that once, you know, maybe we can, uh, you know, I, I just people don't get it like most people are stupid and they're really stupid okay i mean just being honest right so the other day i'm, I'm sleeping on my beanbag in my office and like one of the cleaning people comes by and she's like hey you know i hear you big ceo you know and i was like like shut the f up is what i told her because i'm like who are you i don't i don't need you know like i'm not looking for the help like maybe 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 i'll donate money to you you know you and, you know, she kind of like took that weird and she told me like, you know, I'm a guest here. And I said, you know, I, I was like, I could buy your family like 300 million times over. Okay. And I'd still be a billionaire. Um, now this was before everything imploded. But the point is, is it's just people are really just, they don't, they're just not letting me uh, do what I want to do. So I heard that there's part of me that says that it has to be a deep fake, but Ezra has been uh, very consistent, very reliable, but this is the, this is, let's assume that it's not a deep fake and it's a, a, a real video. This is pathological where when we say, you know, like benevolence is often used as a cloak and the, the, the poo-poo has hit the fan. Robert, before we get into the class action lawsuit uh, against FTX, Sam Bankman Freed, uh, I don't know if Cuban, Mark Cuban was specifically named as a co-defendant, but Kevin O'Leary was, uh, Brady Miami Stadium. Before we get into that, what, what, what do you have any uh, developments or what are the latest developments that, that the rest of the world might not be aware of between what occurred last week and today? Yeah, the, uh, I delayed my hush-hush uh, on uh, the FTX topic because there was so much news this week on it. 
So the bankruptcy court has had filings that reveal things were even worse than uh, some anticipated. It was along the lines that we discussed and predicted last week. This was a scam top to bottom, left to right. The uh, But more developments there. And then, of course, the class action, civil class action that was filed that named Larry David, named Tom Brady, named uh, Tom Brady's wife, Giselle, named a... Uh, uh, baseball players, basketball players, the Golden State Warriors basketball team, uh, a range of uh, you know, the Mr. Wonderful, the big investor, Kevin O'Leary. So one person after, you know, big names who they want to hold personally liable and uh, predicated on, I still think a little bit of a suspect doctrine, but because of the bankruptcy, it may suck up all of these civil cases and they all may end up in, in the bankruptcy court. The uh, person assigned to handle some aspects of the bankruptcy, who was also involved in handling Enron's bankruptcy, has called it uh, worse than Enron. That it looks like the scam is about $30 billion or so, people that are out. It's having continued ripple effects throughout the crypto marketplace. Issues with other companies. There's now talk that hundreds of crypto-related companies will be filing for bankruptcy because of how much FTX contaminated the entire infrastructure of the uh, crypto exchange world. There's questions about Tether's exposure. Darren Beatty at Revolver did a detailed piece on some questions about whether Tether is a lot like FTX and whether or not there's government connections involved. Again, you know, a lot of the, the, the flags we raised last week uh, talking about Epstein connections and sex scandals and uh, Theranos-style financing. All that's been confirmed this week, and it's gone—it's getting worse um, in the sense that Tether appears to have some of those same kind of activities attached and associated with it, some people that actually have direct Epstein ties promoting it. So uh, an odd claim in the bankruptcy court that the Bahamian government required SBF to hack the uh, so that the hack I we suspected was actually an inside hack. It appears it was uh, at least large parts of it was an inside hack, but done at the behest of the Bahamian Bahamian government, so they would have a bunch of money. Sounds really odd and weird. Um, and then you know that kind of contemptuous behavior that he describes would be consistent with the profile of who he is. And so the the deep state aspect of this that Darren Beatty partially goes into in talking about the tether connections uh, are really quite apparent. Uh, and that, you know, goes back to BCCI and other scandals along those same lines. So that's kind of lurking in the background. Some congressmen are talking about getting into it. I would love to see them get into it because I think it would go to many interesting rabbit holes, including implicating Ukraine, including implicating the Democratic Party's fundraising for 2022 and its get out the vote efforts. But right now, basically, everything's kind of frozen in the bankruptcy proceeding while the class action gets filed. The interesting thing about the class action is it appears to predicate its claims against Tom Brady and others on the premise that the what FTX was doing was selling securities, unregistered securities. They want to piggyback off of Florida state law in particular, rather than federal law, interestingly enough, uh, in order to argue that this was touting a, a unregistered security for which they didn't do due diligence and for which they had undisclosed economic interest 
uh, in the uh, because a lot of them apparently had uh, part of their compensation was the was the token itself. It's very controversial the attempt to label every crypto coin a security. I have problems with that. So the uh, because otherwise you're trying to just say if you advertise something you're responsible for whatever the company did, even if uh, you have nothing to do with running the company. And there, there's no allegation that they knew that I saw in the complaint that any of these promoters, I mean, sued Shaquille O'Neal, Tom Brady, that any of them knew that there was something wrong. And if they did get compensation, they lost all that compensation. <laughs> so because it appears to be mostly gone, we'll see how much they're able to claw back from other payments to other people. Uh, but the class action struck me as based on a questionable and dubious premise that's trying to get courts uh, to agree to treat crypto as a security so that the SEC can pick winners and losers in the crypto space, regulate and govern things that are in the deconcentrated, DeFi they sometimes call it, open source, Bitcoin-oriented space, which is very different from all these other altcoins uh, and, and and the rest. And so the uh, uh, it, you know, we'll see, but... It, it's clear there's a lot of rabbit holes of that could go very interesting places. It's also clear there's a lot of people, particularly connected to the government, who want to use this as a pretext to govern, control, limit, restrict, scandalize, and punish uh, people in the alternative finance space. Two things, actually. Before we get – well, uh, before I forget, the class action – Yes, it's, it's casting a broad net going after peep, anybody who was paid or any celebrity who was paid. There is a difference, though, in I, I don't know if Shaquille, uh, I have to think back to the allegations. I don't know if there's specific allegations that Shaquille was an investor as well. But when it comes to paid spokespeople who are ambassadors, spokespeople and investors, which means that they've seen financials, et cetera, et cetera. Does, does the class action make a little more sense to those people who are wearing two hats as opposed to those who are just paid spokespersons. Yep, Coke pays me to sell their product. If there's, you know, someone gets CDP seal from a Coke, don't go after, uh, you know, the celebrity who promotes it. Is, is there a better argument for the the buy the, the the two way investor and spokesperson? Well, I think if you're talking about the Silicon Valley hedge funds that were involved, that's a different animal uh, because they do have access to a range of internal documents and information. But you know, someone like Tom Brady could have been given shares and never seen any of the internal financials. And the story is that he lost hundreds of millions. I don't know whether that's accurate or not, uh, but if, if, if the best argument all of them have is if they lost money. If they lost money, how do you say they were in on the fraud? You know, kind of an odd way to be about it. So I think there's better claims against people like Mr. Wonderful and so forth, the Silicon Valley funds. Those, because apparently they saw internals that uh, Lynn Alden and others have said, when you look at those, there were red flags all over it for a sophisticated investor. So those people could be in some serious trouble. Uh, we'll see. I mean, so far, you know, if this had different politics, the you know Southern District of New York would have already arrested SBF. Um, and so the fact that there hasn't been a rush to arrest him has been interesting to me. Uh, maybe they'll just sit back, investigate all the rest. Maybe that's what's going on. Maybe they're looking for a way to cover him because most of the media reports this week tried to minimize the criminality involved in SBF. 
minimize the criminality, but also conveniently omit where this money went. The, the, you know, New York Times described it as a collapse. You know, he, he was just, he, he overextended, overleveraged, wasn't paying enough attention. Washington Post actually ran, if it wasn't the headline of the article, because the headline was either changed or was not that headline from the beginning, someone else tweeted out, uh, the collapse of FTX frustrates the founder's philanthropic abilities to try to prevent the next COVID pandemic or the next pandemic. I, I'm paraphrasing, basically suggesting that this philanthropist will now, you know, it's interrupting his plans to try to prevent the next pandemic. Washington Post. Um, they can, other than that, you know, sugarcoating is not the right word. It's almost martyrizing the fraudster. The articles that I've read, even the ones in not the New York Times and Washington Post, do not mention, for the most part, where the money went, how much of it went to the Democrats, and then some sort of leave it ambiguous. But by my count, Robert, uh, there was one article that said 90% of Sam Bankman-Fried's $40 million went to Democrats. Uh, other, uh, 90%. Others are saying it was, no, it was his $39 million went to Democrats. His other deputies, or whatever they call them, 29 or $27 million went to the Democrats. Uh, his mother, through Mind the Gap, which nobody's really talking about, her own fundraiser, or the, the family fundraiser, which gets the vote out, raised $140 million this election midterm cycle. And from some reports that I read, which are few and far in between because nobody repeats this information, SBF, if he wasn't funding that directly, was getting his, million, his entourage to fund it. And so you got $70 million directly through SBF and other executives, $140 million raised by his mind the gap from his mother this, this, this cycle alone, which is up like exponentially from 20, 2020, in which SBF donated, I think, $10 million to Biden directly or indirectly, not, nobody's mentioning it. I understand that aspect of it, but what is the Ukrainian angle as to how money went from FTX to Ukraine and then back to the Democrats? Are you able to clarify that? Well, everything about FTX looks like a deep state money laundering machine because not only was a lot of money laundered to anti-Trump folks, uh, anti-MAGA folks, uh, uh, Biden administration and Democrats and to get out the vote folks, but also uh, was laundered through Ukraine uh, because of them setting up a plan. And we don't know the scope of it yet. All we know is that FTX bragged about how they were part of the money going to Ukraine and to help and aid Ukraine and had ties to the Ukrainian banks. We don't know how deep it goes. We don't know how wide it goes. We don't know how broad it goes. But it also came out this week that he had Bill, K Bill Gates-style influence over the media. That uh, he had uh, that inter the intercept was getting a lot of money from SBF and FTX, these kind of publications. And the intercept was interesting. Glenn Greenwald considered it to have so deviated from its principle and purpose that he left it in a very public resignation because it had abandoned its original anti deep state agenda, uh, been co opted for other purposes. And then it also came out that through his brother's organization, they were deeply involved in promoting certain literature about COVID, including the attack on ivermectin. So, I mean, this guy's showing up connected to the uh, Bill Gates World Health Organization, World Economic Forum agenda. His aunt sits on the public health aspect uh, of the World Economic Forum's foundation and is recognized as one of their lead people. Uh, the money tied to Ukraine, money tied to the Democratic Party. 
what kind of buy-offs and bribes happened with he has connections to the head of the CFTC that wants to regulate crypto, uh, ties to Congresswoman Maxine Waters. Uh, it, he may have given money to Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell to help undermine populist candidates in the 2022 elections, which both of them did in the primaries, and then abandoned key people like Blake Masters and Joe Kent in the general elections. And it appears they did just enough to screw both of them from getting to office. So he's showing up everywhere the deep state wants to show up. And that makes you wonder, where did he get his money in the first place, which he's never really explained. And I'll tell you this. I, I've seen enough interviews of this guy. He's not like a charismatic Steve Jobs. He's not, he's not one that instills confidence. He actually, to me, seems like he's quite clearly on, on a spectrum. And, um, and is, is an elitist, self-entitled snob. Well, that, 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 I, I still, there's part of me that still says that. that so, you know, and he's the product of two professional class. So it was like when I was in Washington, D.C., and I saw a lot of those people walking around. I was like, man, these people really shouldn't be allowed to breed. Just, just, it's a bad thing. These, these people create kids and they're even worse than them. <laughs> well, my point about him being not charismatic doesn't seem particularly, look, there's some people who are, are what's the word I'm looking for? Like, they have bizarre he's behavior. He's no Elon Musk. He's no well, marketing but, guru. He, he, he doesn't look like he compensates for what his behavioral flaws are with, with genius. They call him a genius. I don't know what makes him a genius. I've, I've been watching him. It looks like he's a patsy or a fall guy, as though he's, there's no way he ever did any of this on his own. But Robert, I don't know if that's you uh, rubbing off on me too much, where I'm saying this guy's being used by forces beyond him or even exploited by people around him to facilitate all of this. And then the day, look, it's, it's only, we're only at what? $500 million, give or take, that's gone to uh, COVID research and the Democrats. Oh, but he donated to Republicans. The maximum $5,800 that he could donate to Sasso. I forgot the guy's name. And, but, oh, yeah, there. But then $10 million to Biden in 2020. And talking about a billion. It never got there. He looks like he might have been the perfect element to exploit uh, and to be used as a tool upon and a, a patsy fall guy for all of this. We'll see. The class action lawsuit, yeah, it, it's, it's going after everyone and anyone. Uh, but I, I, I think some people have much more exposure than others. And I'm thinking of Kevin O'Leary in particular, just because he did, it's not just that he was an ambassador and a spokesperson, he, he's an investor. And he doesn't, I, I presume, doesn't just take people at their word. He knew that the parents were involved in it, said it in an interview. You know, if there's any place I feel safe, it's this place because his father's a regulator, a tax lawyer, as is his mother. If anybody can set this infrastructure up to avoid problems, this is where they can go. That's more information than most people had. And if you have that, maybe he's just dumb and took the kid at his word and didn't actually look at financials to see this. Uh, they almost had to, to be investors the way they are. And apparently, uh, from you know Lynn Alden's breakdown and some others, they did see some internals that should have been red flags right away. Mm. And so that raises questions about what they're really doing. But a lot of those big tech uh, hedge funds in Silicon Valley are, have deep, deep state ties. So that, I mean, I, that we'll see whether this ever reaches full disclosure, full discovery, full transparency for that. There really needs to be some subpoenas. And there was talk this week that the new Republican house is going to be issuing uh, subpoenas to a range of people in the Biden administration, including the Justice Department, including uh, HHS, where they had all the big tech collusion coordination coming forward on issues of immigration. Uh, uh, there's others calling, as MTG called for it uh, uh, this week, 
major investigation, an audit into all the money that was connected to Ukraine and to FTX as part of that inquiry. So we'll see how broad they're willing to get and go. But they did announce there will be uh, a broad scale investigations into all the hundred, the, all the weaponization uh, by the Justice Department, not only weaponizing it to hide information about the Biden family and Hunter Biden, but also about oh Papa Joe, but also about their political weaponization going after Trump, their political weaponization and going after January 6th. Uh, as just one example, the, those two lawyers that threw Molotov cocktails into police cars during BLM rioting, uh, the headline I saw this week is that they're uh, going to get 15 months, 15 months. So while while people who merely trespass, uh, who weren't actually violent in any real way uh, at, at the at their at the people's capital, were are getting like six years. Some are looking at 15 to 20 years. People actually throwing Molotov cocktails into police cars are getting a year. Uh, you know, by the time they'll out, they'll be out in less than a year. Yeah, Fifteen months. That was after they the the plea deal to which they already accepted was negotiated down again by prosecutors or, or DA. I don't know what the word is. Just magically, yeah. the Southern <laughs> District of New York, the ever reliable, ever honest, ever trustworthy Southern District of New York and Manhattan. Everyone should just appreciate that. 15 months for throwing Molotov cocktails at a police car. Uh, Jacob Angeli, the QAnon shaman, five years because he had a spear and went into the Capitol. Uh, I forget the other guy's name. It was violent against nobody, was asking for permission when he went by the Capitol Police, all of it. Who was the, who was the one whose son ratted him out? I forget uh, what his name is. Son ratted out Jan 6. He got the seven years for carrying... For, I think he had a yeah guy Reffitt, uh, who was ratted out by his son, but he, he got he got seven years because he had a firearm uh, on on site. Didn't do anything violent either. It's um it's enough to make you black pill. But well, Robert, and that's what hopefully these uh you know the Republicans took the House. Hopefully they really meaningfully exercise this investigatory power. It's the only thing they really can do. No legislation will get through with Biden there anyway. Um, so do use the, the best thing they can do is aside from proposed legislation that can put some real meat on the bones from policy, the more effective, efficacious method, uh, method would be in fact, to conduct meaningful investigations and have real hearings and have smart people running those hearings and courageous people running those hearings. And so we'll see how far and how broad and how wide it goes, but they did put the Biden uh, department, uh, Biden administration on notice this week to preserve records and information because those subpoenas will be forthcoming come January. So uh, I think Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, effectively negotiated that with Kevin McCarthy, that because they didn't develop, a didn't get a big enough majority, they're now dependent upon that populist wing in the House to get anything done. And so their, their plans backfired on them, the Republican establishment. And so now uh, they apparently, you know, she said, look, you, you, I'll back you, we'll back you if you agreed to let real subpoenas and real investigations go. And he said he would. So hopefully he keeps his word on that. And then maybe we'll get to the bottom of some of these scandalous behaviors, which the Justice Department is trying to dodge by appointing a special counsel to harass Trump. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was going to go to Theranos, but we'll go we'll go to the other uh, Silicon Valley darling fraudster in a second. What what do you make of the uh, announcement to appoint a special prosecutor uh, to Trump? 
Well, give Democrats credit. They know how to weaponize people. You know, the uh, when they appoint a special counsel, it's not a cover-up artist like Bill Barr did with John Durham. Uh, it, or And it's not some weak-kneed guy who's not going to do anything like Sessions did with Huber. Uh, it's instead, it's somebody powerful who was out to get you. Um, like happened, frankly, with, you know, the appointment of Robert Mueller, who was out to, uh, hurt both cover up government complicity and corruption and Spygate, as well as embarrass and, uh, undermine president Trump and particularly in his foreign policy positions. But here, the person they appointed is a deep state hatchet man, deep state assassin. So that that's what he really is. He's, he's a political assassin. He, he's uh, it's whenever you see a guy that has previously taken out Republicans and previously been appointed to deal with war crimes, uh, then what you've got is somebody the deep state trusts to do their dirty business. Uh, so this is someone to go after, harass, harangue Trump, that the Biden Justice Department can plead ignorance on all of it because they have a special counsel uh, like, oh, that's all the special counsel. We have nothing to do with it. Uh, if they wanted an honest special counsel, they would appoint someone who wasn't a deep state assassin, a, a, a Democratic hack, an anti-Republican prosecutor. But that isn't who they appointed. They appointed a guy who fits all those categories. So uh, Trump knew this was coming as soon as he announced his uh, bid for uh, 2024, which he did on Tuesday, as, uh, as we talked about last week, was going to happen. And so consequently, and he's not all that bothered by it. I mean, they've been harassing him and haranguing him for years. Uh, he's unaffected and unimpacted by their efforts to manufacture claims. The Washington Post leaked this week that the investigation report came back on what Trump had, and there was nothing like they said originally. There was no nuclear secrets, nothing of any great consequence, no effort of any attempt to monetize it in any way, shape or form or give it to anybody. So, you know, those judges that look like fools for signing off on the search warrant and then approving it after the fact should be embarrassed and humiliated by the fact that they took the bait on ridiculous and preposterous allegations purely meant to boost midterm prospects for the Democratic Party. And so the uh, uh, so there's not anything there as you know, the as people are now being reminded thanks to Musk freeing up Twitter's, uh, Trump's Twitter account. Uh, Trump was explicitly and expressly, as he did on the, uh, on, at his speech that day, uh, calling for peace, 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 nothing wrong being done, nothing lawless being done, over and over and over and over again, uh, to the degree he made a public statement outside the White House, made several tweets to that effect, and that's what he said at the speech, uh, peacefully protest, peacefully and patriotically protest, the uh, and so there's there's nothing on January 6th. Uh, so the uh, th there's nothing there, but that won't necessarily stop him from trying to drum something up, which also relates to the Trump tax organization trial tax trial taking place in New York this week, which the media mostly didn't cover. And there's a reason why the media mostly didn't cover. Witnesses said that Trump and Trump's family had no idea what was going on, that the CFO that was engaged in some shenanigans was doing it for his own personal well-being or to look good. Had nothing to do with Trump ever. This is the one, uh, this is not the AG. This is the one of his, uh, who, uh, his tax guy that was uh, the, the private school using, using yeah, the money. He ended up confessing and now they're going after the Trump tax organization for what he did on grounds of the tax organization. But his and other witnesses' testimony confirmed there, there's a reason why Trump, nobody, even though they wanted to indict Trump, they couldn't 
they couldn't even get people to lie about Trump knowing things that he didn't know in terms of these other people's ancillary activities and behavior. Uh, so the so there, there's nothing there, but that won't stop him from trying to drum something up in the process, harass and punish Trump as a deterrent to anyone that wants to be like Trump in the future from challenging the political class's monopoly on power. Uh, but Jen Psaki learned the hard way this week that that immunity doesn't always extend. She had been subpoenaed by the attorney general of Missouri to appear in the big tech, big government Biden administration collusion case that Fauci's having to testify in. Other people are having to testify in high ranking Biden administration officials are having to testify in here too. Again, you're mostly seeing a media blackout because they don't want people aware of this. Uh, like the CBSs that are worried about what a real fact check would look like on Twitter. So they're hiding from Twitter instead. The, uh, right, uh, out, of, out of protest, because they, they don't feel good about the security on Twitter. They stopped yeah, on course. Friday. By Sunday morning, they were, they were twitching like Dave Chappelle, like, we're back, we're back. We're, we're comfortable with the security. Sorry, go ahead. No doubt. So she tried to judge shop and bring the case to petition to quash the subpoena in Virginia, got a Biden appointee. And that judge was like, no, this is not properly in front of me. This belongs back in front of the court that's handling all of this. So her effort to quash that subpoena is highly likely to fail. She's also going to have to uh, testify as to what she knows about the Biden administration coordinating, colluding, conspiring with big tech companies to censor dissident speech on issue of COVID, on issues of election integrity and the rest. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot more eventful and interesting information that comes out of that pretty soon. Robert, breaking news, everybody. Uh, Project Veritas is back on Twitter. Ah, there we go. I'll give credit to Elon Musk on that one. I, I, literally, I just tweeted. I said, you know, well done, Elon. But that came from a $1 Super Chat, V6 Neon. I'm, I'm screen grabbing all of the Super Chats. I'm going to read them tomorrow. But that's too good a news not to announce in real time. They're back. They're live. Oh, my goodness. That's, that's, that's a big move. I mean, that... that uh, symbolically is almost as big as Alex Jones. Um, and practically speaking, probably more useful. Alex Jones has a massive following on his own servers, his own platforms, probably doesn't even need Twitter. Uh, Project Veritas. And that's, that's and Jones be- put out a very generous statement saying Musk is under, you know, a lot of attack. He's fine with Musk uh, waiting on reinstating him wasn't hostile to Musk uh, and was still supportive of Musk's effort to make Twitter a freer space because that's that's Jones nature. Much more generous to Musk than Musk has been to him. Uh, So the uh, uh, we'll see how that 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 progresses and proceeds. But speaking of both the Senate and effective lawsuits, the attorney general for the state of Missouri is the one who brought that big tech collusion suit along with the attorney general of Louisiana. He's also brought successful suits challenging aspects of covid challenging aspects of mask mandates, challenging aspects of immigration law. He also came up with the creative way to sue the Biden administration on their student loan policy, namely that in Missouri, there's a affiliate of the state that receives interest on those loans that helps use those monies to fund higher education uh, that they great. are now going to be denied because of the student loan forgiveness. And that's why the Federal Court of Appeals said, yes, indeed, you do have jurisdiction to bring the case. You do have standing uh, to bring the case. The Biden administration is now begging the Supreme Court to intervene and reinstate the policy and say there was no standing. I don't see the Supreme Court doing that. So the Biden student loan policy, 
that uh, improperly circumvented legislation appears to be DOA. Uh, that's fa- that's a phenomenal grounds. I mean, creative is not the word. I would have presumed that there's something of a provision of those funds that says, look, this is a benefit and not a right. So you get the interest in as much as it exists, but we don't have to give out loans. And so you don't necessarily generate interest. Do they get to the merits of that claim or do they, is it, is it sort of a, I mean, they get to the legal merits because they have, because they have cognizable injury. In other words, they will lose money because of the policy. So once you have that, you have your injury and then you can examine uh, the underlying APA policy, which is comparable. And by the way, that's uh, Eric Schmidt, who will be in the United States Senate come January. Attorney, So he's done a lot of really good work as attorney general. Uh, we'll see if that continues. I hope it does in the United States Senate. My favorite senator, though, will be the senator we interviewed, J.D. Vance, uh, who, from Ohio, who uh, won Northeast Ohio, when almost few, when few Republicans have ever done so in its modern history, uh, even though his opponent is from that precise part of Ohio. So it was impressive at the numbers he ran up in working class northeastern Ohio, ancestrally Democratic. But and hopefully he and he's been talking about proposing a, a range of things and hopefully he'll be a leader for populist policies and programs in the United States Senate uh, once he's there and to help push Trump and Trumpism in, in, in the best, most effective political direction for those of us on that side of the political aisle. But speaking of standing, that was the big issue amongst others in the oral argument on Friday uh, that I was lead counsel uh, with Robert Kennedy uh, for Children's Health Defense against the Food and Drug Administration on their effort to push vaccine, COVID-19 vaccines on little kids. Well, Robert, so what what is the latest on that? Now, you got CDC approves it for the list of um, standard immunizations. Um, your your oral arguments are on what motion now on Friday? Uh, so last it was, that happened last Friday. So the government uh, moved. We brought suit on grounds that the FDA violated the Administrative Procedures Act because they took certain agency actions. So when in a federal government agency takes what's called an agency action, if they don't comply with the restrictions and rules of the Administrative Procedures Act, an individual can bring suit against them. Now, there's limitations uh, uh, that can be argued and that that the government has argued in this case on on those suits. Uh, Our complaint was that there are several different agent uh, FDA actions. One is that the FDA was calling the drug safe, when it's not, calling it effective, when it's not, calling it a vaccine, when it's not, saying that there's an emergency uh, for children from COVID-19, when there ain't, um, and that they even redefine the word vaccine without going through any proper process in a way that directly contradicts the plain understanding of it in the common parlance and their own understanding of it for more than a century. Uh, So we're challenging all of those actions as their excuse was, this was all part of our emergency use authorization, and that derives from our emergency powers. And under the emergency power statute, we're exempt from the Administrative Procedures Act. And consequently, we can't be sued. We have sovereign immunity. Their other claim was that uh, we couldn't make a claim for any violation of the Administrative Procedures Act. And their primary argument is that nobody that sued has standing to sue. 
So the uh, the argument was that uh, the organization Children's Health Defense didn't suffer any injury from their action, and the individual parents who brought suit haven't suffered any injury from the action because they're not responsible for the actual administration of the vaccine, nor any mandate or conditioning of the vaccine. The uh, so that was the uh, the it was the motion to dismiss brought by the government that the court heard on Friday. And uh, their argument is that 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 three those threefold factors. Our uh, response to that is that, first of all, any organization that suffers a drain or diversion of resources because of a agency action has suffered a constitutionally cognizable injury sufficient to constitute a a constitutionally cognizable case or controversy, which is all standing is standing is an interpretation of a few words in the U.S. Constitution that say a court must hear any, quote, case or controversy. And the argument is there's no case and no controversy unless you have standing. This is a doctrine invented only about a century ago, and in my view uh, is divorced from, not tethered to, our constitutional history or good principle. Putting that aside, the it is recognized that when an organization has to drain its resources or divert its resources in response to an agency action, that is a constitutionally cognizable injury for purposes of jurisdiction and standing. Here, Children's Health Defense had to spend gobs of money and divert all of its resources away from other issues of children's health to spending 90% of its time and its money and resources on counteracting the lies being told by the FDA in mislabeling, misbranding this product as a safe, effective vaccine when it's not safe for kids, not effective for kids, it's not even a vaccine because it inoculates against nothing. And as Pfizer admitted, they didn't even test for inoculation well, in the first place. So that was actually going to be my, my next question. First question, though, playing devil's advocate, they're going to say, look, you, you, as an agency or as an entity, you decide to divert your resources to fight this. You didn't have to. You chose to do it. So you're the author of your own misfortune, any misfortune that you may have. I, I could foresee that argument with children's health defense. Not so much with the parents, but we'll get to the parents standing in a second. What do you say to that? Like, all right, you guys chose to do it. You can't hold us responsible for that which you actively chose to do. You might be wrong at the end of the day, but nonetheless, you you decided to do it. Live with the consequences. It's not our fault that you're diverting resources to sue us. Uh, The problem with that argument is then, then under that circumstance, no one could ever sue. In other words, there's all these case law that has said, do you divert resources in response to an agency action? All those actions are volitional, right? You don't have to spend the resources in response to the agency action. If the act of, if the mere fact it was volitional meant you couldn't sue, then no organization could sue. Well, no, I, I can imagine it not being, uh, you know, voluntary or of your own volition if they say we're implementing uh, plexiglass. So now I have to put plexiglass because FDA says so. So that's not no longer of my oh, own accord. That's never been the requirement. So in okay. other words, all that's required is you have to respond and spend resources in ways you would not have had to do but for the agency action. It's not whether or not there's like a direct cost imposition on you. It's solely whether or not this is in response to the agency action. So if it's something you would have done anyway, if the agency never would have done anything, that's when it's not uh, a constitutionally cognizable injury. And that was their argument. Their argument is FDA, a CHD would have done this anyway. And it's like, no, we wouldn't have. Why would Children's Health Defense doesn't need to counteract 
the lies of the FDA if the FDA is not busy lying. The And so that's always been the standard. So it's always so, for example, let's say there's an election controversy and somebody has to and an organization has to go out and educate people about issues related to the election that they only have to do because some agency took a particular action constitutionally cognizable environmental organization not you know the uh, uh similarly do they have to spend money in response to some policy the epa has made that they wouldn't have had to spend but for the policy so all that matters is are you spending the money so because of the government's action or are you spending them um, was it money you would have always spent on in that precise way anyway and here they didn't even their dispute was only we would have spent it otherwise, uh, but that didn't really hold much water. And and the court didn't focus on that issue. The court seemed to assume that standing did apply. You know, we'll, we'll see when we get the ultimate decision. The court didn't make a decision, but the court didn't focus much attention on that set of questions. You're on mute. Sorry, my question is more for the parents. How do they argue the parents? The, they say the parents don't have standing because you didn't suffer any consequences as a result of what we did. I mean, what consequences following their own logic? What consequences would parents or children have to suffer in order to acquire standing? Have suffered an actual physical injury? Well, even then, they said they wouldn't have a right to sue. So what the FDA is claiming is that in, so all you need is one plaintiff to have standing and then that's it. You, you don't go any you don't go further on the standing issue. You, you then go into the substance of the issues and the case moves forward. So if CHD has standing, CHD also has what's called associational standing. So that's your right to raise the claim of, of the, your members who don't have to be part of the suit for you to raise that suit. So CHD said, look, there's a whole bunch of people that are going to be subject to mandates that are subject to constant coercion, uh, that are subject to this constant propaganda uh, that uh, may suffer an involuntary intrusion or without at least informed consent, which is what this is all about. The FDA wanted to focus on consent rather than informed consent. So they wanted to say, look, it's always up to the parent whether or not the child gets vaccinated anyway. And if there's a mandate, we have nothing to do with that. So we can't be blamed for it. And our counter to it is the whole FDA's obligation is to be in the informed consent business. This is why courts have found you can sue them for when they fail to provide adequate information about something, when they simply allow the importation of a drug that might have dangers to third parties, uh, because that's the business they're in. They're in the informed consent business. They're a labeler, marketer primarily. They're about making sure labels are correct. That's what they're supposed to be about, like the U.S. Department of Agriculture, frankly. Um, and so in that context, when they are giving bad information, allowing or authorizing bad information, or in this case, doing it themselves or complicit. I mean, here you have the FDA commissioner has gone on children's TV shows calling the drug safe and effective. Direct, they use Big Bird and Elmo to tell kids they're going to get sick unless they take this safe, effective vaccine. They, they have direct, in fact, the government tried to deny this at the hearing. They're like, FDA is not involved in the branding business. It's like, they're not supposed to be but they are here. So that's exactly what they're doing here. The individual standing claims, their argument is we're not responsible for any mandate. We're not responsible for any administration. We're not responsible for any coercive conditions. So even if a parent, uh, even if a child takes the vaccine because of the misrepresentations by the FDA, that's not our fault because there's a third party intermediary that actually administered it or mandated it 
or coercively uh, required it. The problem with that is the in, in the in the standing doctrine, especially, you only have to be a link in the chain. You don't have to be proximate cause. You don't have to be the final link. You don't have to be the only link. You just have to be a link. And what they couldn't dispute is that if the FDA hadn't taken these actions, none of these risks would be present. The FDA was not calling it safe, not calling it effective, not calling it a vaccine. Uh, if they weren't out there promoting it and pushing it and pitching it, they weren't authorizing Pfizer and other companies to do things like, you want to be a superhero kid? Take the vaccine. That, that's an ad running right now across the country telling little, targeting little kids, you know, the ones that are on YouTube TV and that sort of thing, saying, if you want to be a super, superhero, you want to be Superman, you need to take this vaccine. So uh, in, in Washington, D.C., a parent was sitting right outside the when her children went into a, a Ronald McDonald's health clinic and the kids were vaccinated without her notice or knowledge when she was sitting oh right outside. God. So these kind of things are happening. There's already reports of kids who have died uh, from the shot. So given this kind of uh, risk that's present, our argument, not only that, you have hospitals, including in Fort Worth, Texas, including in Nashville, Tennessee, and in other places around the world. It's a real problem in Canada where they've said it's legal, the Canadian courts have, uh, where you, you're, you can be denied necessary medical treatment if you're not vaccinated. And our argument was, so a parent who has to deal with this emotional risk, this weighty risk that their kid, if they get an emergency, may, did they have to wait for the kid to be dead before they can sue? Uh, so the and then the other aspect of the parent's injury is not only the emotional weight of that and the risk they have from vaccine from mandates and coercion for which the FDA is an indispensable, integrable link to the entire process, a key link in the chain of what takes place, the indispensable link of, of what takes place, but also throughout the history of false advertising cases, you've had a right to sue. When your confidence in the product or the sponsor of the product or the protector of public health uh, denies you the ability to continue to have that confidence. And that's the, our other ground for standing, that what the FDA has done is making parents all across the country no longer trust the FDA, which means they don't know which vaccine to take and which one not to, which drug to take and which one not to. That is its own injury, has been recognized as its own injury, even in the conventional tort context. And so on all those collective grounds, there's multiple bases by which the court can find standing and jurisdiction. And uh, that was the argument on that. The court mostly spent its time on whether or not we stated a claim, uh, whether or not there's a uh, remedy, which is part of the standing analysis too, and whether or not sovereign immunity applies. Because those were the other arguments they were raising. Yes, yeah, so sovereign immunity, I, I imagine, could be the biggest one. But Robert, I, just wanna, I wanna bring this up, just in case anybody hasn't seen it. Look, Daddy has super duper bandages, just like Elmo. <laughs> you were super duper today, getting your COVID vaccine, Elmo. So, this is that real. Was a little pinch, but it was okay. Elmo was really glad to have Daddy and baby David there with him. Baby David, um, where are you? Huh? This is I real life. A lot people. of questions about Elmo getting the COVID vaccine. Was it safe? Was it the right decision? I talked to our pediatrician so I could make the right choice. 
I learned that Elmo getting vaccinated is the best way to keep himself, our friends, neighbors, and everyone else healthy and enjoying the things they love. Oh, that is true. Elmo and baby David have a question. Come here, have a hug. Oh, come here, son. <laughs> it's it's oh, so you, crazy. Like, I feel like it can't be real. And I have to keep going down and making sure that this is on the verified account of Sesame Street. It's okay to have questions about COVID vaccines for your kids. Mm-hmm. Get the latest facts by speaking to your pediatrician or healthcare provider. It's the crazy. I mean, I, I, and, Joseph and Goebbels. Sponsored by the CDC. Yep, so that's what I was directly gonna... marketing it, directly branding it, directly preaching it, directly teaching it. And unlike what they're trying to claim in a federal court about an ivermectin case, uh, they have been opining on it directly, not just, oh, we just, you know, uh, we didn't say not to take ivermectin. We just said it's a recommendation. That's all they it's... do. And that's been added to the kids list, which makes it mandatory in a bunch of places. So uh, the court uh, asked, the court saw it as didn't focus so much on standing. The court instead asked about, isn't there a potential remedy here? Can't I issue some relief? And said, absolutely. And what we're asking for is bifurcated. Uh, at this point, we're just asking for the case to move past a motion to dismiss and get to uh, discovery and, yeah. and a what's an expedited process under the APA is, the, is just to stop the lies. I mean, I mean, the, the court doesn't even have to revoke or stay the, emo- the EUA. The court could say no more public statements making representations that this is safe, this is effective, that this has been fully clinically tested, that this is a vaccine, when it's none of those things. All those statements are false statements being made by the FDA. Well, let, let's, let's say in, in, new, in Orwellian Newspeak, it's now a vaccine. I mean, they changed the definition a little bit earlier than COVID, I mean, but... But the problem with that is twofold. One, they had no right to make the change. They didn't go through the uh, proper process to change the definition of the vaccine. This is back in 2015, right? Yeah, uh, uh, or more recently for the actual change of the word vaccine. Um, because their own internal emails show they knew they had a problem, so they went in and changed the word fully. The, uh, in response to concerns about COVID vaccine shot, okay. which is, again, a drug disguised as a vaccine. Uh, but the other is, for purposes of marketing, it's what the public understands a word to mean. And that's the problem. You can't just say, well, we've decided to just change the word definition, but we're not telling the American people that, right? They're not, in that Elmo ad, they're not saying, this doesn't inoculate uh, all the the requirements they would make of any other company to put a big caveat on the label. They're not doing themselves. They're lying to, they know the ordinary person thinks the word vaccine means the same thing it's meant for a hundred plus years, which is that it actually inoculates against disease infection and transmission transmission is neither transmission is the key one because even now we're seeing i mean it's it's a level of dishonesty that's just um beyond words but albert burla that tweet from april 1st 2021 you know the the studies in south africa 100 percent effective at preventing covid19 and now in retrospect through the orwellian interpretation of newspeak just tearing up the speech and giving him a new one they're saying, oh, it meant prevents cases of COVID-19, um, uh, the, the Rona progressing to COVID-19 and hospitalization. It means severe cases. That's what preventing COVID-19 means now. Um, I mean, and just now they're saying- lying to cover up for, for them. But the so the issue of the their other excuse is so the, the court recognized that they're uh, at least in response. We'll see when you know the the court actually issues the a decision uh, where it goes. The 
but the the court didn't ask many more questions about that aspect. Saw a remedy as appropriate because all we're asking don't allow them to keep lying. That's it. You know, de- declare they can't they can't say these things and enjoin them from it, and then just remand it to them to follow their own rules, which they didn't do the first time. But uh, I mean, even but the big one uh, the court focused on ended up being in sovereign immunity, which is their claim is the emergency use statute, emergency powers statute. Uh, it says that the APA won't apply to any exercise of emergency powers. And the the our argument was we're not challenging how they used emergency powers. We're challenging whether these are emergency powers. Calling a drug safe when it ain't isn't an emergency power. Calling mm-hmm. a drug effective when it ain't ain't an emergency power. Calling a drug a vaccine when it ain't ain't an emergency power. It, it, it's all it's mis it's mischaracterizing the the directions of the development under the uh, emergency power. So we need to develop a vaccine. We need to have whatever operation warp speed they want to call it. Okay, fine. You've developed this product, and you want people to take it because it's an emergency. But you can't you can't mischaracterize it and you can't misdescribe it. That's a good yeah. argument, Robert. And, and so uh, it, the way I put it is, it's like emergency powers is like you could call it uh pandora's box uh and the whether or not you have a right to open up pandora's box is always subject to judicial review under the apa whether you a particular power you're using a particular agency action is an emergency power whether it comes out of that box is also a judicially reviewable question so we're not asking them to say we're not conceding that yes everything they did was a legitimate power that they had a right to open the box to we're saying just the opposite no statute gave them this power. No law allowed them to lie to a bunch of kids and to a bunch of parents and caregivers and custodians about their health risk and about drug risk. No, nothing did. And so that statute, that fig leaf, because think about the precedent that would set. If a government agency can just unilaterally, uh, arbitrarily say what I've just done is an emergency power, and now I'm no longer subject to either judicial review or legislative limit, or constitutional constraint, you don't have a government anymore, not a constitutional government anymore. I mean, that was the great problem with the Weimar Constitution. The emergency exception written into it is what the Nazis used to illicitly seize power. I mean, contrary to popular belief, Hitler was never popularly elected. The only presidential race that he ran in that was where people were allowed to meaningfully run, he lost by like 35 points. He got crushed. They, they, they struggled to ever get above a third support at their best. That's why they had to steal uh, elections. Uh, they couldn't get them honorably. So we'll see what the court does. Uh, I think our arguments are we're right on the law. We're right on the facts. We're right on morality. The hard part is getting federal courts to be willing to stand up to the FDA in this context. There isn't a long history of them willing to do so, uh, eager to do so. Yeah. So we'll see. Uh, but uh, we're right on the law and the facts. And whatever happens, if, if, uh, the, the, if the court rules in favor of the government, then we'll be taking it up all the way to the Supreme Court as necessary. Because yeah, I, this I, power is a dangerous, perilous power. The government cannot be allowed to get away with what they've done. Do, do you think your your biggest liability, your biggest exposure is on the sovereign immunity? I mean, if they're giving if they're giving hmm. sovereign immunity to I don't think cops, they have immunity on I, mean, I don't think they have I, I don't I don't see any good legal argument that they have. I see that they have a power argument. We're the government, we're the FDA, we're the CDC. This is public health. Hey, federal judge, shut up and be silent. Get back into your place and let us run the show. 
that's it's an argument from power, not an argument from principle, not an argument from precedent. Do you get to add the subsequent statements by uh, the the execs at Pfizer that we didn't test for transmission? Uh, of oh, the I mean, the judge mentioned that the boosters uh, when he, the uh, the judge asked, he says, is it the case? Is it not the case that there has been a lack of clinical testing of some of these? And and government's like, oh, no, it was all kinds of clinical testing. We're disputing that, of course. Uh, but the, the government was, uh, and they're like, oh, maybe you're referencing the boosters. And he was like, well, you do agree that at least the boosters, they didn't even do any clinical testing, right? So the, uh, so the court seemed cognizant and concerned about what the public health authorities have been up to. The question is whether that translates into the court keeping the case for its further review. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll find out. All right. Fingers crossed. The, 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 they didn't respond. Well, Your Honor, we've tested them on eight mice. So who needs humans anymore? Um, Robert, speaking of a specious medical technology, it might be the good segue into Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes being sentenced. Um, I mean, I guess the, if people know about that case. It's, it's Theranos, Elizabeth Holmes, the first female billionaire, Silicon Valley darling, as they call them. Uh, basically lying about a technology that they never had, that they knew that they never had, in terms of being able to run a, a litany of blood tests off a mere finger prick of a drop of blood. It would facilitate blood testing. It was, it was The technology was amazing. A, a drop or two, they could test for, I don't know, if it's not dozens, it might have been hundreds of, of blood issues. The problem being, they knew they had problems with whatever technology they had. They had no basis to be making the claims that they made. Uh, they circumvented regulatory oversight by claiming it's sort of in-house laboratory technology, which evaded the scrutinizing eyes of the government. Yada yada. went to trial uh, for fraud. She tried to raise the insanity defense for fraud, which was subsequently dismissed. And she was just sentenced. But Robert, we'll get to the sentence, what you think of it, if I've missed anything here. The thing that I found out today, which I found the most shocking, is her argument against incarceration is that she's now pregnant and due to, to, to give birth, I think it was soon. I mean, I don't know how she timed her pregnancy, but I, I think I know how she timed her pregnancy. She got pregnant uh, and is now using that as an argument against incarceration. And I was listening to this with, with my kid. And my kid's like, oh, you can't send her to jail. She's pregnant. And I was like, you can't just get pregnant to not go to jail. Like, I mean, that, that, that is a level of sociopathic pathology that is next level like hey i'm about to I'm, i it looks like i'm going to jail i'm going to get pregnant at this time uh unless it was a total accident and i'm being very judgmental which i don't think i am uh so setting all of that aside robert what, she got sentenced to 11 years uh i don't know what time served she has what's what are going to be the the mitigating factors to reduce that ultimate time at the end of the day but what do you make of it and um she got pregnant i i, I don't know if you knew that but yeah what, what do you make of the situation I mean, she was convicted of some charges, not convicted of other charges. The, the charges she was not convicted of carried heftier sentencing. So the 11 years, I believe, is within the sentencing range that's recommended and that's typical for what she was convicted of. And in the federal system, you do about 85% of your time. You can get what's called a good time credit of 15%. They sometimes nowadays let people out the last six months out into a halfway house. So an 11 uh, year sentence, uh, the most you're the, 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 the most you'll be able to knock off, you'll do at least uh, eight years so or so. So that and, and because of that sentencing range, 
that likely means more of it changes the security level you're sent to. So it, you're often not sent sometimes, but usually not sent to a low security facility. The low security facilities have less violent criminals, uh, almost exclusively nonviolent offenders with no violent record. Uh, they often, you know, get to, I mean, it's not like Wolf of Wall Street playing tennis, uh, that kind of thing. That's gone from the federal imprisonment system, but it's not, you know, doing hard time like you're in the movie Undisputed or something. So the, uh, it's not like a state prison at all. The, so she'll probably though do a medium security facility. So I have more limits, more restrictions, more restraints given the length of the sentence. Um, and it's, uh, and so it won't be as, uh, it, it won't be, it'll, it'll be harsh, but not brutal uh, from a, an imprisonment perspective. And the pregnancy may buy her bail pending appeal because um, the appeal often takes as long as a year and a half to, to have it adjudicated uh, so that, that that's where they can kind of resolve that issue. Uh, that, that, but they often, you know, people are often pregnant in, in inside prison and they have facilities to manage that. I'm not often confident in the their capacity to manage that, but that's another story for another day. I thought all things being equal about a proportionate sentence, which is all the eighth amendment requires as the Tennessee Supreme court made clear this week when they said that a, a mandatory life imprisonment for juvenile defendants convicted of homicide is by definition, not proportionate and therefore cruel and unusual punishment under the eighth amendment. And they threw out on constitutional grounds Tennessee's law requiring life in prison for first degree murderers when those first degree murderers are juveniles. Um, juveniles or uh, juveniles who are not tried as adults or juveniles, regardless of whether or not they're tried as adults, regardless of whether they're tried as an adult. Mm -hmm. And this stems from a string of Supreme Court cases that has said that because of juveniles lacking mental capacity or diminished mental capacity. They thus have diminished moral accountability under our intent-driven uh, system of criminal punishment. And consequently, before they, they ruled out the death penalty altogether for juveniles, and then had raised doubts about life imprisonment, if it's mandatory, without individualized discretion for sentencing. Now, what's also happening here is this is a judicial branch protecting its own prerogative. So the judicial branch saying, we should decide sentencing, not state legislatures imposing mandatory sentencing. The courts have been traditionally hostile to efforts of the legislative branch to deny discretion in the judicial branch in this capacity or context. Now, it goes to one of the, the uh, uh, tip questions at uh, the live chat going on at vivabarneslaw.locals.com about what you can do about standing. Congress could change the law to make it clear that courts have jurisdiction in these cases, and that would be the end of the nonsense of standing, other than the Supreme Court itself invalidating it. I don't anticipate the Supreme Court doing that anytime soon because judges on both sides of the aisle love standing for the political power it provides and playing Pontius Pilate and hiding from cases of consequence. Um, but the, I, I think the Tennessee decision is probably the right decision. It really depends on what you think about moral accountability and criminal punishment. Their point is it has to be proportionate, and it's by definition not proportionate when you have a juvenile involved. Other people would say it's proportionate when the severity of the crime by its nature says so. 
What about the underlying argument? Why do you need minimum requirements if you have the discretion of a judge in the first place? I mean, all you're doing is effectively- oh, it's, a mandatory, it's a mandatory sentence, period. No judge can't do anything but issue life imprisonment. I, I mean, I, I, is there not an argument to be made that ma mandatory, mandatory sentences in and of themselves are somewhat superfluous? Uh, it, it would presuppose that the judge doesn't have the good discretion to issue life in prison sentences. Oh, that's exactly, that's why the laws are passed. They don't trust judges. This no, uh, no, no, That shut me up fast. <laughs> in the late 60s, early 1970s, with the perception you see in Dirty Harry movies, a range of other movies, that judges were soft on crime. And in response, throughout the 70s, 80s, into the 90s, they started imposing mandatory sentencing. That became controversial in the federal context, in the crack cocaine area, and other areas. Now, of course, President Trump, uh, uh, in his campaign speech, in his announcement speech for 2024, recommended a, a death penalty sentence for uh, drug dealers over a certain amount, and the uh, and that will have its that will probably be a popular provision, um, and it would probably also be a mandatory type sentence uh, on the grounds that you can't trust judges to do the right thing in the federal system. The sentencing guidelines were ultimately thrown out for a range of reasons for similar reasons as the Tennessee Supreme Court did. The courts like to protect their prerogative over, over sentencing. The public is often dissatisfied with how they exercise it and try to use the legislative branch to, to check it. And the courts come back and use their constitutional interpretation to counteract the legislature. So that's also, that's the backdrop of what's going on. But the moral debate is more a matter of, does the nature of the crime make it uh, proportionate? Is that how you measure proportionality under the Eighth Amendment? Or does the nature of the defendant, uh, how you measure proportionality uh, for, the, the, uh, for, for the crime for cruel and unusual punishment purposes? Well, yeah, that's it. I, mean, I say the, mo the moment you decide to try them as an adult, you've made the decision that morally, intellectually, and culpability-wise, they're adults, and therefore to have a second set of standards for what would otherwise be the minimum requirement sentence for an adult, a bona fide adult versus a minor deemed to be an adult. Eh, once, once you've called them an adult in law, it should follow that. I just, I just, I, I don't like minimum sentences, um, mandatory minimum sentences in general, because yeah, everyone goes like, well, a murder and it should be the case. Yeah. But then you take other types of minor offenses, which carry very serious minimum uh, penalties. And I'm thinking Canadian law, gun laws in Canada, where you're like, yeah, that's that. you have a totally innocent person now, and the judge has their hands tied behind their back because carries minimum sentences. It's um, I see more injustice there than just leaving it to the discretion of the judge. But now that you now that you make that point, I see that point as well. Well, speaking of judges, case of uh, Gibson versus Goldston before the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals concerns a uh, a family court judge who uh, was routinely and regularly ordering court bailiffs to conduct searches of people's homes in the middle of a court hearing. So the, uh, and the judge, of course, after the, so what happens is the judge, family court judge says, well, we'll, we'll find out what's going on here. Come on, bailiff, we're going to go over to this, one of the party's houses. Now the party happened to be a law enforcement agent. So he, he knew the rights that maybe some of them violate on a routine basis. But the, when the judge shows up, he's like, I, you're now become a witness. I move to recuse you. Judge says, nah, too late. You should have brought that up earlier. Uh, and then the judge orders the bailiff to go in. He tries to film what's taking place. The judge says, arrest him if he does that and demands the bailiff seize his phone. 
The uh, the bailiff then searches the whole property, takes several pieces of property with him. And and so later on, the he sues the judge and the bailiff. <clears throat> and a lot of bailiffs think that they're immune as long as they're doing what a judge says. No, you're not. That That's wrong. Uh, you better read a warrant. You better read the law. Just because a judge says it doesn't mean you're immune either. A uh, common mistake made by some bailiffs who, you know, think they just work for the judge rather than work for the country and work for the people. Uh, the judge claimed, oh, I'm immune. I'm a judge. The judge admitted the judge does this routinely in family court cases. And it's the first person to fight it. First person to contest it, probably because you don't want to upset and offend the judge who controls custody over your children and property distribution. Uh, and so the but this this person was unhappy and sued, probably because law enforcement knows that this was illicit. And the issue before the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals is, is the judge immune? And the Institute for Justice has filed an amicus brief in the case. The district court said, no, the judge ain't immune. Says when you do something that's not a judicial act, you're not immune. When you do something that's an executive act, you're not immune. When you do something that's outside your jurisdiction, and the law in the in the state in question specifically said they don't have the power to do these kind of things, uh, then, then you also are not immune. You're only immune when you're acting as a judge. Just because you do something as a judge doesn't make you immune. And so it was a, it's, I think the Fourth Circuit will come back with a very good ruling that will make clear judges are not immune when they do things that are not acts within their jurisdiction and that are not judicial acts like searching and seizing people's property. So, I mean, I, I, I could think of a more um, extravagant example if the, if the judge issues a, a, a sentence that's absolutely unlawful and then claims uh, immunity. But, well, Robert, let's just hypothetically, the decision comes down against the judge. What happens to the judge? Is this going to be a basis for, I, I don't know if the judge was elected or appointed. Is it going to be the basis for um, a, a, a dis, not dis, disbarring, but is a removal of the judge from the system? Oh, I mean, they only issue a small sanction, the judicial people. So no, no surprise there. So there's no consequence likely to flow. But the judge may have to write a check uh, and, and, and the government that employed him write a check. And that will most likely discipline other judges from doing other wayward conduct like this, not only in that area, but across the country. So it's always good for judges to remember they're not the sole arbiters and get to do whatever they want. This is the problem of immunity. I'm, I disfavor immunity, period. You should be able, at the time of our founding, you could argue as a defense, you did what you did as a, in your constitutionally clothed authority. And that was an argument for the jury to decide. That's how it should always be. It should not be immunity under any of these pretexts because uh, it invites this kind of trouble. As an example, take uh, Long Lake Township in Michigan uh, versus uh, the Maxons. The, they decided they wanted to collect a bunch of fines for because they suspected this big property owner might be doing something on there that was contrary to their zoning laws because zoning laws are their own intrusion of property rights in my view, but that's another story for another day. Um, but they couldn't see it. So what did they decide to do? Ah, uh, that they, they got some Viva style drones. <laughs> hey, and they you could right over the property. You can get good. At, you could zoom in on it too. Like it, the, the, the photo quality is impressive. You can go, five kilometers in a, a, a distance without even, you know, being there. Amazing. Uh, sorry, go on, Robert. So they, they, yeah. they, they fly over and get aerial footage, basically invade the privacy of a property. And then and they use the zoning laws to try to punish the individual. And so the first question, as it went up to the court system, was, was this a search within the meaning of the Fourth Amendment? 
the government's argument was, nah, we, we weren't physically on the property. We were above the property. However, the Supreme Court has made clear there's two grounds on which there's a Fourth Amendment violation. If for the purposes of a search, and this is important, if it's not for the purposes of a search, different issue. But if it's for the purposes of a search, for investigatory, law enforcement, information gathering purposes, that you either physically trespass on the property or invade a reasonable expectation of privacy of the individual, then that constitutes an unconstitutional search if done without probable cause in a warrant or other exigent circumstance. Here, they there's both because people forget you have a right not only to the physical property on your land, but you have a certain both reasonable expectation of privacy and against nuisance and trespass claims, a right underneath you to a certain degree and a right above you to a certain degree. And uh, so the... And so if this has come up in other contexts, for example, dog sniffing, a uh, drug sniffing dogs, right? They used cop would come up with a drug sniffing dog, knock on your door, get you to answer, see if the dog smells something, then use that as the excuse to go into your house. The uh, and then the Supreme Court said, no, 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 that that's clearly a illicit search just because you're doing it with the dog on the front porch. It violates reasonable expectation of privacy and to some degree is a trespass. The other was famous case that went up before the U.S. Supreme Court using infrared cameras where uh, you could see all kinds of things uh, through someone's house. And the Supreme Court said that clearly violates reasonable expectation of privacy and really is a form of trespass. Uh, So under either the physical intrusion or reasonable expectation of privacy test, unconstitutional if without probable cause, a warrant or exigent circumstance. Here, the court said, yes, the use of drones is part of your protected space. It's both a physical invasion on your property, given, as you note, how cameras can really capture all kinds of things, and given the distance it has to fly is part of the space you have a right to be part of. And this has been recognized in other cases. Uh, good arguments were made by the amicus and other briefs that pointed out people that have been criminally prosecuted for sending their drone over their neighbor's yard to do stuff they're not supposed to. Uh, other examples like that, uh, uh, being able to have a nuisance claim, being able to bring other claims, so that, in fact, it's recognized this is within your property right. But in addition, it's clearly a violation of your reasonable expectation of privacy. You expect when you're in your backyard, this people's property happened to be a real big backyard, five acres, you expect it, you don't expect somebody to spy on you from the sky without your permission or invitation. And so the court said, yes, it is a Fourth Amendment violation. However, the court said, uh, and this comes from right-wing judges, by the way, there's this problem. The, the exclusionary rule should really just be limited to criminal cases. Uh, and this is, the, this is a problem in the court system where they've screwed um, and led by just judges and justices on the right to gut Fourth Amendment remedies and say, yeah, you, you know, really you could just sue civilly for the invasion and, and intrusion but they can use the evidence they gather against you as long as they're not being used against you in a criminal case. The problem with that, they're they're doing it for political reasons and policy reasons, but it's directly contrary to the plain language of the Fourth Amendment, which has no meaning if the government can be rewarded, literally in this case financially, with civil forfeiture claims, uh, with zoning violation claim fines, uh, quasi-criminal proceedings uh, because of their seizure of property and forfeiture of property involved and loss of property rights. 
if they are allowed to just completely ignore it. That, but that's what the Michigan Court of Appeals said. It said, nah, this isn't a pure criminal proceeding. No exclusionary but, rule. Government can get away with it. Well, that's I mean, criminal in the criminal code sense. This is statutory, which carries with it fines, which themselves can then lead to all sorts of different sanctions. So st- st- statutory infractions, no, no, no right or reasonable expectation of privacy or that which is obtained can be used against you. But Robert, uh, the question I was having is uh, satellite images. Like if the government gets the same images by using Google Earth, then it's okay to use uh, hypothetically in criminal in and of itself? I don't think so. Uh, so the, you know, but that's a separate question. So it depends. If they're not doing it for a search purposes of that property, then probably yes. If, if it's simply ancillary and incidental, which is they lie about that all the time. Uh, but the uh, uh, it, but it, it, that happens all the time. And so the question of how much of it, it's invasive is an open question yet to be determined. But if they're not doing it for search purposes, how they usually get away with some of those things. But here, the exclusionary rule should apply. They pointed out that the Supreme Court has never explicitly limited it to criminal cases. It said in quasi-criminal cases, property cases, this is a good case that could even reach the U.S. Supreme Court because the U.S. Supreme Court should clarify, frankly, the exclusionary rule should be applied everywhere, especially because they pretend, just as like Scalia, as an example, would pretend that, oh, you have a remedy because you can sue. But on the side of suing, they would gut your rights there, too, to where you couldn't actually sue. And so it, it was it was a false hope. It was it was making the Fourth Amendment toothless. And that's what the Fourth Amendment should not be. So hopefully this this case will clarify that either at the Michigan Supreme Court or the U.S. Supreme Court down the road. All right. Well, um, I, I think there's a few cases on FOIA that we'll get to. I guess we'll do them in bulk. But before we get there, uh, Odell Beckham versus Nike. It, it's an, I mean, it's an interesting lawsuit because it makes you realize that, <laughs> you know, no matter how good a contract is, no matter how powerful your lawyers are and no matter how big the company is, uh, people can fight dirty and, and do dirty things. The, the the thirty thousand foot overview. Odell Beckham, great uh, running back or linebacker, wide receiver, wide receiver. I'm an idiot. I don't watch sports, but he's a good football player. The the lawsuit describes his prowess on the field. Um, has a massive endorsement with Nike. Gets an offer from Adidas to you know come sell their product, which you know it, it should, not not it doesn't show you the loyalty, but it just shows you these. The, there's no quality difference in these shoes. It's pure branding. Bottom line, he gets an offer from Adidas to come and you know partner with them. Uh, Nike is contractually empowered to cause o- Beckham not to be able to accept that offer by matching their offer, which allegedly they do. Um, okay, so they, they say we're going to match Adidas' offer, uh, and the terms of which are uh, – we don't need to get into it, but it involved – let me just get one thing straight. It involved uh, royalties – uh, or it, it basically promised them a certain amount on royalties. Nike says, we're going to match the offer. They sign their addendum, their, their, their contract to say, we match hereby match it. And then apparently in this, Robert, I don't know if you know the details, but I don't know if it's done on purpose and Beckham doesn't notice it. If it's a bona fide oversight that Nike subsequently exploits, but they say uh, we're making a distinction now between earned royalties and net sales to basically say, we're, we're not paying you millions of dollars because of this interpretation uh, of this addendum that we signed, which doesn't necessarily, according to Beckham, 
accurately reflect the offer from Adidas. Nike also says uh, you're in violation of um, you know, showing our gloves and our shoes because you were wearing a black on black version of our shoes or something, or we think you taped over the, the Nike sign. You weren't showing our gloves and our shoes as you're required to do. And so we're issuing you a ex post facto $2 million withholding penalty. Um, Robert, what's, what's your takeaway from it? You're more into sports than I am. Uh, is, is, first of all, if you know, was the accident an accident? Did Nike do it on, on, on drafted and Beckham's lawyers didn't pick up on it? Or was it something that Nike says retroactively, either we're pissed at you for whatever the reason, or we're going to interpret this in a way that will screw you out of money? And um, what do you think of it? So, I mean, what's interesting is it's a reminder of the of Reformation. That uh, did you ever have, have to did, did you ever litigate a case on those grounds in Canada? Refor- what's the word? Reformation. Well, I don't know what the Canadian equivalent is. That good faith dealing type concept. Uh, separate. It's the idea that your contract can be reformed to what the original agreement was based on certain factual conditions existed. Okay. So, like, what's, here I'm they try to, to amend the con. Nike tries to amend the contract, uh, sort of midway through. They agree to match the the original contract. Says we have a first right of refusal and to match any other offer you get. He gets a great offer from Adidas at the peak of his career. They come and they say, "Okay, we match." Then later on, they sent out this extension letter because there was all these extension required under the contract effectively that actually modified the conditions that it appears Beckham's lawyers or agents didn't catch. And it's not clear they actually signed it. The the lawsuit kind of stays vague on what was there, not there in that sense. But their their argument is, even if one, their argument is this isn't, this couldn't modify the contract because here's what the contract originally was. And secondly, even if this is a considered a contract, it should be reinterpreted to reform to the original intention of the parties when they both signed the mutually reciprocal contract. And so the issue of reformation and whether you can sort of amend in the way Nike attempted to uh, will be it is, is the interesting legal aspect of it. Okay, I I know under Quebec law, we don't have that term. I'm trying to think of what the equivalent would be. But basically, this is always the intent of the parties and whether or not there is some sort of surreptitious attempt or whether or not it's exploitation of an interpretation that no one would have ever given to it, given the essence of the contracts. Um, It's making the news. It's a big deal. It's just it's funny. I mean, no matter how big the company, they might just try to screw you to save a few few million dollars here and there. Um, FOIA, Robert. Uh, Judicial Watch, sorry. Judicial Watch has been busy. So they've got FOIA for, uh, ja- uh, against the FBI for January 6th. Uh, they, want, um, uh, they want to inquire as to whether or not uh, is it the FBI and, and authorities obtained the bank information of anybody within the D.C. area on January 5 and January 6. And they issue a FOIA request. I, I, I forget the word now. Gromar? Gamor? What's, what's the... Um, exception that the FBI invoked. Uh, Glomar. Glomar, Glomar. So Glomar says, we can neither confirm nor deny the existence of an investigation. And if we were to give you this, this documentation, it would confirm or deny the existence of the investigation. So we're saying, no, thank you, piss off. Um, and, and Judicial Watch is appealing that because that initial inv- that initial excuse from the FBI was uh, upheld by the first judge. And now they're appealing that. Gl- I mean, feel this one, Robert. If if Glomar, we can neither confirm nor deny the existence of an investigation, therefore your request for documentation is dismissed. 
what would ever be the limits to that uh, excuse from the FBI? And uh, for those asking in the live chat at VivaBarnesLaw.Locals.com, we're going to cover the elections in just a second. So the but as to the FOIA issue, so Judicial Watch brought the FOIA suit because of public disclosures that the FBI, as Tucker Carlson and others revealed early last year, the FBI ordered banks to produce and credit card companies, it appears, ordered them to produce every debit card and credit card transaction in the D.C. area around January 6th. And so they were grabbing everybody's personal financial information and transactions in that time period, Airbnb reservations, restaurant reservations, anybody that did any gun purchases or ammunition purchases around there, all of that. This was a massive search warrant without probable cause of American citizens. So the FBI, so Judicial Watch said, okay, we would like to see those subpoenas and see those record requests. FBI is like, oh, golly, gee, uh, first their defense is, we don't know what you're talking about. That, that's confusing. That, that's too vague. So they came back with very specific, and they're like, well, okay, we, we can neither confirm nor deny. That neither confirm nor deny, the Glomar case is, Glomar, depending on how you pronounce it, is, the, uh, is only reserved for rare, exceptional cases where the revealing it would reveal an investigation that no one knew about, or reveal tactics and techniques that are that nobody knows about. Neither of that is true here. This was purely protectual. But the D.C. federal court deferred to the uh, FBI, allowed them to hide this information illicitly. Now, the hard part is they're in front of the D.C. Court of Appeals, so they may not be no better. But there's this excuse is completely ludicrous. And credit to Judicial Watch to pursuing it. Discredit to the court for excusing it. Um, okay, it's interesting. So the Glomar exception, even in its truest form, would be uh, stuff that is, if it were to reveal stuff that is intended to remain confidential to protect uh, systems and not if the public already knows about the investigation, which yeah. they do because the it's method, already been disclosed. Everybody knows the FBI uses, Ooh. you know, does subpoenas. So, I mean, that's I, not, oh my God, the FBI is a subpoena power. We better, that's a be secret. I mean, it's ludicrous. No, and also, it. that was a ridiculous ruling by the court. And I'm just saying, it's like, well, people are going to say, if you have nothing to hide, then you have nothing to, nothing to worry about. Let them pull your bank records. Let them see your transaction. To, oh, but unless you buy something, which, and not even necessarily a gun, just, I don't know, something else that they can say, you bought that for the purposes of insurrection. Oh, you, well, did, did you fill up a jerry can of gas? That was for insurrection. Now we're coming after you. Well, the, speaking of something to hide, the Arizona Attorney General finally got off his duff and uh, he lost in the race. His, his wife's a federal judge. He lost in the race to Blake Masters. Uh, promised a lot of aggressive investigation about elections. Never really felt came through with it. But there is so much controversy over the Arizona election results mm -hmm. that the attorney general finally felt obligated, if he wants any kind of political future at all, to uh, demand that Maricopa County start producing explanations as to a wide range of extraordinary actions that took place on election day. This is independent and separate from the issue of mail-in voting and some film that's come out on people appear apparently doing uh, ballot harvesting and trying to hide the fact they're doing ballot harvesting that's outside the rules in Arizona. By the way, they're trying to disguise their presence and themselves when dropping off ballots. But Robert, 
if I may just stop you there for one second, actually, uh, does this does is this limited to Carrie Lake versus Katie Hobbs, or are there other races which are uh, suspect? I mean, uh, Blake Masters has already uh, conceded, so it wouldn't apply to the U.S. Senate race, but it would apply to the Attorney General's race and the Secretary of State's race, both of whom also have concerns. It might apply mm-hmm. to even more people. Uh, I think it was a, I, I think it was Georgia, where you know they found that they had forgot a ballot card to count, and then they had to reverse the results of a city council election. While another state court judge in Fulton County was busy uh, helping uh, Warnock try to win his runoff against Walker by giving them an extra day of early voting by (laughs) pretending that the law didn't somehow apply to runoffs the way it applies to regular elections. Uh, Just It's amazing how the same Harmeet Dillon brought suit in Arizona because of what was happening on Election Day. Everybody knew that 75, 80% of the people voting on Election Day were going to be Republicans in Arizona. So given that, the, uh, they, had, suppose, they had purportedly tested the machines, no problem. They had qualified and certified the machines, no problem. Then on Election Day, people go in at precincts, and Carrie Lake's doing a great job gathering live testimonial information. People making statements, statements that they're swearing to under penalty of perjury. She's doing a good job of having them videotape it, put it up. I think it's Save Arizona, Save AZ, something like that site. You can find it, Carrie Lake, on Twitter. Uh, and the and they're gathering extensive information of voter after voter after voter after voter who ran into extraordinary problems on Election Day that if Republicans did it, the Biden Justice Department would have locked everybody up and called it voter suppression in violation of the civil rights laws. Of course, the Biden administration is silent and mute because their their friends won the election, so they're not doing anything. Justice Department, again, abandoning and absconding its duty to neutrally and impartially enforce the election rules to make sure voter suppression of this kind does not occur. And then it's turning out things like apparently machines were certified or claimed to be certified that weren't. Machines suddenly broke down in ways that were unexplained. Repairmen were present in ways that things were delayed. Uh, So it appeared to be a coordinated effort meant to make it difficult for Republicans to vote on Election Day, and it likely had enough impact. And then you had ballots being mixed in with other ballots, counted ballots being included with uncounted ballots, all kinds of other reports coming out of election fornication at an extraordinary scale. So the attorney general's talk is intervening, may deny, may uh, uh, prevent Maricopa County from certifying the election results. And in addition to that, Carrie Lake is clearly looking at a potential election contest, which you can bring in Arizona contesting the results, just because she already has more than enough people raising questions that is greater than the margin of victory. When you look at the number and volume of people who are denied access to the polls on Election Day in Arizona. Robert, I was told that contesting certification is insurrection. But let me bring this up so everybody can. This is a montage, people. We've got about 20 percent of the locations out there where there's an issue with the tabulator, where some of the ballots that after people have voted them, they try and run them through the tabulator and they're not going through. That's what election integrity looks like. <laughs> because he, he, he's, this guy, Bill Gates, is trying to now convince the world that um, it's a two-minute video. I'll, I'll, sh- I'll share the tweet link. That, you know, it's transparency. They're, they're doing everything they can now to make sure every vote is counted after a week. 
And he actually said, that's what, it, that's what election integrity looks like. And, and he's tied, and other people in Maricopa County are tied to a pack that uh, a lot of the old McCain wing of the Arizona Republican Party were setting out to defeat people like Carrie Lake. Yep. So, it's, you know, the, you add it together, it raises major. Nobody can have confidence in the Arizona election outcomes, given the amount of accumulated information that comes out day after day after day. Hopefully, the Arizona Attorney General will take corrective action. Hopefully, uh, if necessary, the courts will take remedial action. The appropriate thing to do is to just do a new election uh, uh, for the the offices in dispute. You don't have to do every office, just the offices that are in dispute, which in this case are the governor, the secretary of state, and attorney general. Um, and that, you know, the if they won on, on the up and up, then they'll win on the up and up the next time. Uh, but at least let's have an election run within the rules that didn't suppress votes. Well, I mean, if you can have a runoff uh, in Georgia, why could you not just have, uh, I don't know if you, you wouldn't call it a runoff. It, it's but effectively like, it's effectively a runoff. Just, to, just it's, there's, it's, it's inconceivable. I was trying to find the video clip of uh, Bill Gates saying that there ha there's some problems with some of the tabulators at 20% of the voting locations. And I said, that's, that's a very interesting way of saying it because- 20% problems with, with polling machines at 20% of the locations doesn't necessarily mean 20% of the tabulators. It's conceivable it could be a lot more than 20% depending on which centers they're at. So I, I'd love to know that as a, as a question. What percentage? It could be less than 20%. It could be more. I'd like to know that. The idea I mean, that you have problems with tabulator. I love the accent. It's like a Canadian-type accent. The day of the election. And, oh, you can go to another place and vote as if a number of people through laziness or through other actual legitimate reasons, are not going to be able to go find another polling station, wait in line for two hours. They're just going to go home. And who does that hurt when it happens on the day of? It's obvious. It's, it's so over the top. If nothing is done about it, um, it, the irony is going to be that the biggest election denier, Carrie Lake, um, arguably had an election uh, that a lot of people are going to say was denied to her. So... Uh, Harmeet Dillon is working on it right now, right? It's, uh, she, she's yeah. actively involved. Yeah, she's been on the ground in Arizona. So the uh, uh, people had asked whether I would be involved. I'm, I'm happy to help. So it, it's up to, you know, the, the people involved. But Harmeet's a very capable and competent uh, counsel, always has been. So the uh, – and Carrie Lake, I think, is doing a great job gathering evidence, you know, live mm -hmm. testimonial video evidence to share that with the public so people can see ordinary people describing nightmare after nightmare after nightmare after nightmare after nightmare on election day with a county run by people who are hostile to these precise candidates and wanted yeah. to see him defeated. A, a lot of people don't understand that Bill Gates, I don't, well, it's, not a, a, is it a, it's not a super PAC, it's a PAC. He, he was actively anti-MAGA uh, GOP candidates. So like, oh, yes. it, no less, it was recent memory. It's the, 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 it's a it's an incestuous, disgusting cesspool uh, that you know the internet and the democratization of internet is allowing people to finally realize this in real time. It's a lot of stuff I didn't know, but I found it out. Um, okay, so Carrie Lake, the fight continues. Blake Masters has conceded. Um, the what same was the with uh, Laxalt in Nevada. So it doesn't look like there will be any election contest in Nevada, but there has been a suit filed by some voters in Pennsylvania. Uh, in, uh, in Delaware County, challenging any certification based on issues. And what a lot of people are, are, are a fair number of these people are doing is they want the elections fixed. It's like, regardless and independent of the ultimate consequence of this election, 
We want these things to stop reoccurring. Uh, and the other things courts need to do is you can't in Georgia and you can't in Michigan, as they did, allow Democrats to sue and hold up and, and allow election poll, polling place to be open all night, effectively. In Michigan, they were counting in Ann Arbor at 2 a.m., allowing people to vote. And then in Arizona, deny it when there was a much worse problem in Arizona. Mm -hmm. It makes the courts look complicit, like that federal judge who tried to lock up and did lock up for a period of time, the true the vote people. The, 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 it's become more clear that the election denier rhetoric by the media, by the professional class, by the election fornicators, by the judges, are fraud deniers. And they want to gaslight everybody into believing our elections are perfect when they themselves challenge the elections when they don't like the outcome. Uh, but they want because they knew they were going to keep doing this. Uh, and that's and what they don't realize is you do not garner public confidence by telling people to shut up. You don't garner public co confidence by censorship. You don't govern. You don't create public confidence by secretive behavior. You create it by transparency by openness and robust election contests that allow full fact facts to be vetted and developed, investigated and adjudicated. And so hopefully they will start to realize that. It's good to see at least the Arizona Attorney General office wake up to that uh, and start doing something, start doing their job uh, to because this wouldn't have happened had they frankly done their job before the election. Uh, but I mean, is it really a coincidence that the biggest county in the in, in that was going to decide the vote in the state, all the machines suddenly break down without uh, with, and with anomaly after anomaly after anomaly that has no apparent explanation and appears to contradict their own promises and, and attestations before before election day. And, you know, it clearly something they deliberate. It looks like they deliberately did what they did to make Republican to make it possible for late to lose. Who is their main target? Well, it's it's. It even if it's not deliberate, it can't happen because it impacts predominantly Republicans the day of in the most important county. But Robert, uh, one question was, uh, Blake concedes. Can he not still ask for something of an audit? Can he, does he still, does oh. he lose any legal standing to insist on certain verification? Oh, no, you don't, uh, neither one of them, neither he nor Laxalt lose legal standing. Okay. They're just unlikely to bring it. It's more likely to come from Kerry uh, Lake. All right, and then the other question, I don't know if it was Babert versus Fersh, Frisch, or who was it? Where it was hundreds of votes where the Democrat candidate conceded. If it wasn't Babert, it was someone else. And I, I was thinking, um, as were other people who might be smarter than me, uh, why on earth would, a de would, would anyone concede with hundreds of votes separating hundreds of thousands unless they were afraid that peeking under the hood of the car might reveal that the engine had, of the Ferrari had been swapped out for a Ford? Yeah, that, I mean, that that's true. I mean, that is what happened with Hillary Clinton backing uh, Jill Stein's election contest challenges after the 2016 election in Michigan. All of a sudden, they they realized that there were more votes than voters in some Detroit precincts, and they're like, maybe we don't need to go forward and investigate <laughs> this any further. Okay. Um, Georgia runoff. What's going to be interesting about that? The, uh, so the interesting thing about that is a judge basically just said. In the context of a runoff, they can hold early voting the day after, is it Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving. Or the, day after Thanksgiving. The, or the, the Thanksgiving weekend. They can do it, uh, yeah, the day On after the holiday and the weekend day after the holiday, basically giving Warnock a boost so that he could increase his early voting turnout. Because in Georgia, the mail voting went way down because they changed the rules to make that much harder. So Democrats need the early voting technique 
to be able to get out and roll out and organize their vote, which they did a good job of in the in, in the first go around, quite frankly. Um, and uh, but they, they were going to have trouble because they had fewer days under the rules. So they just got to judge throw out those rules to benefit Warnock. It's pretty classic. Well, the, the, so I, re- I mean, I read it. The, the, the argument was that uh, the rule of not having uh, early voting the day a- on a federal holiday or the day after was intended for general elections and that it doesn't make sense that it would apply to runoffs because of the time constraints for a runoff. It, I look, it's a logical explanation. You have less I mean, time, I mean, Robert. I mean, the, the statute is the statute. I mean, it's clear the idea that if, if, the, if Georgia wanted there to be a different application of the rules in a runoff, the legislature would have said so. He's just making it up because he finds it. I mean, frankly, he's helping Warnock. That that's the the only consistent pattern in judicial rulings and election cases for the past since Trump got elected has been Democrats win, Republicans lose. That's been the only consistency. There hasn't been any intellectual honesty in it at all. Um, have we missed anything for the night, Robert? So uh, the only just- last little brief mention on uh, the great work by Judicial Watch and FOIA. Yeah. When people said, "Ah, you guys are making it up," and Barnes is full of it, and he's a Putin shill by saying that there's biolabs, U.S.-backed biolabs in Ukraine. So Judicial Watch did a FOIA, and guess what they found? A bunch of evidence from the U.S. They tried, they redacted like 90% of the pages. But the, what was it called? Pathogen asset control system being <laughs> set up all across Ukraine. Packs. Robert, it's, it's it, <laughs> I'm at a loss for words, where you have uh, Victoria Newland saying, answering Marco Rubio, we don't have biological facilities. We have research. What did she call them? Uh, not biolabs. We have biological research facilities. And we're nervous that the Russians might get their hands on it. You got, uh, I got a kid trying to bust down the door. We got uh, Fauci uh, answering Rand saying, uh, no, uh, uh, that's not gain of function. What we, I've had peer reviews this study say, when we tinkered with this to make it more communicable from animals to human, that's not gain of function. And now you have pathogen, what was the word again, Robert? I have to go get my notes. Pathogen uh, uh, asset control system. Path- what the hell does that mean? Okay, so they're there. First of all, we, we all knew that they were there. Call them uh, for- assets. Assets. <laughs> Ask yourself, what would be a pathogen asset? Um, bioweapons. Uh, it's 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 just Robert. Uh, give it another name, and it's not a lie when you say it. What was the? Oh, that that was in. Um, that goes back to FTX, where they were saying, "Well, FTX didn't steal the money because we gave it to Alameda, and Alameda, uh, you know, l- leveraged money. It wasn't shareholder money when Alameda did it because it was a loan. It's it's semantics, wordsmithing of the devil. Um, so." Judicial Watch has now further confirmed that there were other pathogens in Ukraine with U.S. funding. Now, funding for development or funding for handling? Because they're going to say, well, oh, the I U.S. Mean, it appears it's detailed training manuals that they have, location manuals, how to build the lab manuals, all of it. So Alex Berenson, that, that deep state hack who disguises himself as a uh, sincere COVID skeptic who uses it to gatekeep out uh, people that are critics. Thus, he's used his platform to go after Robert Malone, used his platform to go after people who question ivermectin, used his platform to go after Alex Jones, used his platform to be a war whore for Ukraine. He screams deep state ally, a guy who went from covering the CIA to writing CIA novels. 
uh, a little bit peculiar that is there, Alex, the uh, uh, who sporadically threatens to sue me for exposing him. So the uh, that the you know uh, Berenson you know and other people uh, have been trying to be dismissive of some of these issues, but it's quite clear that there was in fact bioweapons being developed in Ukraine. There was other war crimes this week uh, by uh, Ukraine appeared to have. There's some controversy about the video, but the most people who have watched it came to the conclusion. I don't watch those videos because I, I don't like that stuff. But it appears that U- uh, Ukrainian officials or Ukrainian soldiers uh, summarily executing Russian POWs. There's videos coming out of them keeping Russian POWs in caskets and then alive and things like this. Not a surprise if you followed anything about uh, the, the kind of people we're arming in Ukraine. Um, the While Ukraine kept pretending that it was Russia that hit Poland, when everybody knows it was Ukraine that hit Poland. Robert, and, and the rest. Pa- so it's, it's a sad but unfortunate reality that the Ukraine has been a deep state experimental crew uh, pit of despair for a while. And they've been funneling money by hook or by crook there. Some of which, of course, apparently through FTX came back to us. Came back to the right democratic politicians. Uh, I have to, I have to, I have to steal, man. The opposing side, Robert. People are going to say, of course, there were chemical, biological, pathogen asset facilities left over in Ukraine, left over from Russia, developed oh, before. That, that, that's what Berenson tried to claim. But you look at these FOIA documents; these are clearly for new facilities. These are clearly new training programs. These are clearly for new pathogens. So that excuse, which didn't hold water at the time, it was a ludicrous explanation by Berenson. Once again, he's been outed as the fake that he tends to be, like he was in his criticism of Dr. Malone, like he was in his criticism of Ivermectin, like he was in his criticism uh, and is celebrating the hatred on Alex Jones. Uh, Never trust a Horace Mann Yale graduate who (laughs) writes books for the CIA. Well, look, Robert, I got to say, I'm fortunate to not even have had any experiences with Harvard, Yale or whatever. McGill, Université Laval, and I didn't have very many friends. Oh, I, that's not true. I had friends. Um, but hold on. There was another steel manning that I had to do. Okay, so new facilities, you can't hide behind the old arguments. Uh, it had to do with the... Oh, I'm sorry. That's it. When Zelensky... Zelensky presumably knew from minute one that an errant missile, albeit by accident, hit Poland and killed Polish civilians. They, they had to have known that. It's not as though Zelensky could say, we didn't know that, correct? Oh, the Poles knew right away. Everybody knew right away. And so the, I mean, the problem was the Russians hadn't even fired any missiles even in that area. And so Zelensky just kept lying about it day after day after day. And even the people in the UK were like, uh, chill with these lies. Everybody knows we're lying. You know, we're supposed to lie and get away with it. You know, like pretend that the bio labs aren't really bio labs, but are really uh, you know, the uh, just left that we were double checking on, uh, you know, that kind of routine. Uh, it's so bad that now stuff is leaking. Uh, now, Colonel McGregor's belief is that this was a actually Ukrainian deliberate false flag meant to provoke the U.S. to put troops on the ground in Ukraine at a more, com- you know, there's U.S. troops there, but not at the level of direct conflict with uh, Russia, that the goal was to to escalate. Uh, McGregor has been saying that, you know, the he worries about Zelensky doing even a nuclear false flag. So, and again, McGregor, one of the, our top military people, one of the top Trump national security advisors, has been accurately forecasting things about this conflict all the way through, warning about risk all the way through. Petraeus and a bunch of people within the Pentagon want to escalate this into World War III because they think they can win it uh, because they're insane. 
uh, as McGregor points out, and Zelensky in particular is out of control. Uh, you know, when you have a cokehead like this making decisions and you're pouring money into them, just the fact that they're connected to FTX is just a classic example of everything about Ukraine. Untrustworthy, unreliable, criminal money launderers who will commit all kinds of vicious and vile crimes using in our name, using our money to accomplish it. We should, as President Trump has said, time to get out, time for peace, time to end a foolish uh, deep state propagated war. Now, I get people like Sebastian Gorka in between bashing Alex Jones will whore for the war some more because that's what he wants to do. He wants to be Sean Hannity's replacement, clearly. He wants to have his own little CIA pin, little deep state approved hat he can wear. Uh, but for the, the people who really care about America first, the we need to get out. It ain't Ukraine first and it ain't Zelensky first. It's time to exit before God knows what might happen. Well, Robert, let's let's end it on this because I found the video. Uh, it's just it's it's unbelievable wordsmithing. But watch this. Well, um, I only have a minute left. Let me ask you. Um, Let me just pause it here. In hindsight, now having seen what Zelensky and Ukraine attempted to do ostensibly, maybe it was an accident last week. Now pay attention to the suggestion that Marco Rubio puts to Victoria Newland, given her answer. Does Ukraine have chemical or biological weapons? Uh, Ukraine has. Uh biological research facilities, which, in fact, we are now quite concerned Russian troops, Russian forces may be seeking to uh, gain control of. So we are working with the Ukrainians on how they can prevent any of those research materials from falling into the hands of uh, Russian forces should they approach. I'm sure you're aware that the Russian propaganda groups are already putting out their information about how they've uncovered a plot by the Ukrainians to release biological weapons in the country and with NATO's coordination. If there's a biological or chemical weapon incident or uh, or attack inside of Ukraine, is there any doubt in your mind that 100 percent it would be the Russians that would be behind? Good question. There is no doubt in my mind, Senator, and it is classic Russian uh, technique to blame on the other guy what they're planning to do themselves. <laughs> appreciate classic confession through projection. It's, it's classic Russian technique to blame no, on the other one. You're, as I'm, bl- uh, this is uh, a woman who is personally responsible for the Maidan coup in this whole conflict in the first place. But people should ask themselves, why would you be concerned about the Russians getting information that was part of the Soviet Union? And Alex Berenson couldn't answer that question, right? If it was part of the Soviet Union stuff that they were just clearing up, then Russia would already have that, wouldn't they? Uh, it ha- would have to be something different than what was there before, wouldn't it? By the and then number and then secondly, why would you be concerned about it if it was just research and couldn't be weaponized? Uh, the answer gave away the lie, and credit to Judicial Watch for further exposing it through FOIA. Robert, it's been one heck of a, a one heck of an insightful, um, informative uh, two and a half hours. Uh, what do we have on this week? Oh, uh, it's Thanksgiving, so uh, we don't have anything on Wednesday. Okay, I'll probably... I'll probably Thursday, I'll be in transit on Wednesday. I'll go live anyhow, but at least we won't be expecting anybody. If I get a guest, it'll be even better, but nobody's going to be expecting Barnes and chanting Barnes when... Sorry about last week, Robert. It was totally my bad. Um, okay, well, th- th- heading into this week, are you doing any appearances anywhere else? Nope. 
Nope. Uh, the, okay. Got a few legal matters, then heading home for Thanksgiving. All right. Well, everybody, Robert, give us a white pill before I say everybody enjoy the next week. Happy Thanksgiving. I'll be doing the last week of the Convoy Live. Justin Trudeau should be testifying. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, my goodness, there's a flying dog and a get, get, get out of here. Uh, Robert, give us a white pill for the for the, heading into the new week. Oh, sure. Well, it's about to be Thanksgiving. There's lots of things to be thankful for. But personally, uh, I'm impressed by one Donald John Trump. This is a person that they've made very clear that if he would just shut his mouth and go gently into the good night and quit raging against the dying of the light, that he could have his business back. He could have his family back. Nobody would be subject to criminal risk, no, prosecutorial risk, investigate, investigatory risk. Nobody's home would be getting raided. Nobody's business would be being taken over. Nobody's reputation would be constantly tarnished and trashed. Nobody's business uh, projects like Truth would be under SEC invest, uh, investigation. That all of he could go back to being a very happy, very successful uh, billionaire uh, that had its own marketing protection and all the rest. But precisely because they've taken the actions they've taken, he has proven his backbone and spine and saying he's going to continue to represent the causes and constituencies he cares about and will not go gently into that good night. And so in that sense, Trump is a throwback to our founding generation and precisely what we need at this time, in my view. Fantastic. And everybody, Salty Cracker is live. Other people are live right now. If you look at wherever you go, Drop a good good in the chat and let them know that. Let them know from where you came. Robert, stick around. We'll say our proper goodbyes. Everyone in the chat, thank you very much. I'll see you tomorrow. And I will be doing the locals exclusive reading of the Rumble Rants, which I've screen grabbed all of them. And I'll read them live for locals. Thank you very much. Peace out, everybody. Enjoy the night and broadcast. <laughs>